the United States of America would like to invite you to come spy with me. Adventures looking in your window Something's out of the ordinary Come with me now And let's explore the secret passions I can see you're someone special Hello everyone, I'm Dan, and this is Eventually Super Train, the short-lived TV show podcast. We cover short-lived TV shows one episode at a time. Eventually we will get to Super Train. This is episode 85. I'm your main host. Uh, thank you for joining us. If this is your 85th episode, wow, thank you so much. If this is your first episode, hey, welcome. We got a fun one. Now, um, I, I try to keep the episodes around the vicinity of 90 to 100 minutes. Sometimes they go much longer. This episode might be one of those. There's a reason, though. So let me just say, I hope you're safe and well, wherever you all are. And this episode begins with Mitchell Hadley, the great Mitchell Hadley, and myself discussing episode 30, gravy 5, 35 of Bourbon Street Beat. I think we're in June of 1960. Then I discuss, then we hop to December of 85, and I discuss episode 4 of Shadow Chasers, and then... Uh, Manoreas is back and joins us to discuss the final episode of Masquerade, Flashpoint, which uh, the show itself was 83 to 84. Flashpoint is the episode that never aired. So we will be discussing that, and we discuss that in great detail. So uh, um, enough of this. Let's hop right in to the fun. Let's go down to New Orleans. Bourbon Street Beat. Bourbon Street Beat. Starring Richard Long In New Orleans Andrew Duggan This is the blues With Arlene Howell and Van Williams Produced by Warner Brothers Episode 35 of Bourbon Street Beat Ferry to Algeria 6660. That must mean something. Directed by William J. Holt Jr., uh, written by W. Hermanos. Yes, it is directed by the gentleman who directed the wonderfully entertaining Ghost of Drag Apollo, and written by the person who is, uh, huh? In the history of television writing. This is a, oh, produced by Charles Hoffman. There you go. This I'm not going to go too in depth in. I'm not going to go in depth at all into the description of this. This is a Kenny heavy episode where he is called to the island of. Oh well, he. Uh, uh, I think it's an island. Uh, he's called to Algeria, which is a place right near New Orleans. I believe it's on an island. And who who cares where it is? It's nearby. It's not Algeria in Africa. Algeria. And he is called because there's something going on with real estate and there's a woman who sort of is the main voice in the town. Her daughter has died and she may have come back to life. And I don't know. I don't know. I'm going I'm to leave it at that. So Kenny has to find out about this daughter and this woman and these people who are doing this weird thing with this town. And it's uh, he takes a ferry to Algeria. And Mitchell and I are going to 
chat all over this business in about, hmm, let me check my watch. I haven't owned a watch in 15 years. Bourbon Street Drinks. Ferry to Algiers. Huh. Episode 35. Woo. Oh my gosh, we are, we're, I, I guess we're sort of in the, the, the back, we're in the back, five, six, seven, eight, back five? Does that, is that something they say about TV shows? The back five of Bourbon Street? The Be- twilight, the twilight of the series, Yes, I would yes, say. we, we are, I wouldn't say the show is winding down because W. Hermanos is pumping out these episodes faster than David E. Kelly ever used to do it, <laughs> even when he was doing The Practice and Ellie McBeal. In the, in this at the same time, so so W H was probably also writing like ten other shows um, at this time, uh, but I don't know. Uh, but oh hey, uh, before we dive into to the ferry, um, I have with me Mr. Mitchell Hadley, sir. How are you? I am well. How are you, Dan? Doing okay. I'm a I'm I didn't think it would happen with the W Hermanos episode, but we got another Kenny led episode. Yes, I was hoping we'd get one. I'm, I'm sad that Melody's not here, but um, it is it, it is nice to have another Kenny led episode. What did, what did you think of this one? Well, you know, uh, we did have a Kenny episode previously that uh, I said at the time it was kind of like uh, we were seeing the the uh, introduction of Kenny Cub Investigator. Yes. But in this episode, we've got Kenny full fledged detective. Yes. He has and 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 again. You could argue that this is because he is playing a role that was originally written for someone else. The the Hermanos uh, M.O. that this came from another source. So Kenny is assuming a role that somebody else played at one point in time in something else. But we've got a Kenny that is mature. He is wearing, you know, he's, he's, I, I don't want to say he's wearing adult clothes, but he, he's, <laughs> he's, he's dressed up. Yep. He's got, you know, this, yep, <laughs> sport coat and slacks and a tie. And, um, he's not, he's not a, a, a cub detective in this one. He is every bit a junior, but a partner in the firm in the way this case comes up and it it comes to him quite by accident you've got this mysterious woman who may or may not be dead appearing at the at the front door and you've got um him being kind of lured into this case and uh uh first as a bodyguard and then wanting to get into a deeper and uh he's doing oh a lot of research in this as he's digging into the the backgrounds on uh, the person that you might call the prime suspect in uh, in this case and uh so he's he's uh doing a, a lot of research on this he is working hard in this <clears throat> and i couldn't help but wonder and i even jotted it down here are we seeing the kenny that is in Surfside 6, where he is a full-fledged detective. And he is, um, is this what Kenny is becoming here? Now, we know that it'll be, uh, unless unless Surfside 6 winds up with some W. Hermanos episodes as well, (laughs) we know that, that there will be a bit more 
of Kenny's personality in Surfside 6, but uh, I am very impressed with him in this episode. He's tough, he's smart, he's dogged, he's everything that you would want in a uh, in a detective show. Yeah, he it's and I, I think that the the fact that it's a ghost story, and I think yes. I was just going to say the fact that it's a ghost story plays very well. Again, it comes back to the New Orleans setting. Despite what you yes. think, this isn't Algiers, like the Battle of Algiers, uh, yes. uh, Potocurvo's great uh, movie about the uh, mm-hmm. French incursion in the late 50s. This is uh, Algiers, Louisiana. I didn't yes. know there was such a place, but as my wife often says, any day that you don't learn something new is a wasted day. So I yeah. learned something new, and I went to bed happy that night. But, <laughs> so this isn't this isn't another trip into the uh, hinterlands. This is in Louisiana, right across from the river from New Orleans, and it's a perfect setting for it. Yes, yes, and and Kenny actually says Algiers. No, the one and 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 yeah. Chris, Christina, the mysterious Christina, is like no, the one across the the, the river. Yes. There. Oh, okay, yeah, because I I think I I forget if I said this on a um an episode or whether I said this to you in between recordings. Um, yeah, because we chat in between. Why not? Maybe maybe one day I'll stream yes, all our chats in between chats together and release it as a maxi sewed episode for everyone to enjoy. But I, I was looking at the back of the box, <laughs> and it was funny because the back of the box says "Ferry to Algeria," and I was like, and, and so I, I, I was like, wait a minute, where are they sending him now? But "Ferry to Algiers," there you go. Okay, that makes more sense. Um, now, uh, this this episode is Kenny's great in it, and he kicks butt in it, and I think it's a fun. It's 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 tricky. This is um uh this is and I because I, I always do this. Um, I always seem to reference Doctor Who. I don't know why. Well, I watch a lot of Doctor Who, but one of the thing with Chris Chibnall, who's in charge of the show right now, is that I think he he does great beginnings. And he does great, like, intertwining things and creating mysteries and, and getting you wondering what's going on. But then he's very bad at endings. He's very bad when you, as you approach the endings, things tend to get, like, tend to go from, like, what's happening? What's happening? Oh, that's what's happening. I refer you to the first Jodie Whittaker episode, The Woman Who Fell to Earth. It starts off so intriguing and so weird. And then as it goes along, you find out what's actually happening. It's like, Oh, that's what's happening? And then it gets to the end, you're like, okay. And it's not quite much ado about nothing. But I always find it like ah, you got he he's and he did that when he used to write for Torchwood too. You know, he wrote two season finales for Torchwood that had that same thing where they start off like, Oh my gosh, and then you get to the end you're like, Okay. And so that's what this episode kind of felt like to me, because it starts off and there's because the episode we're watching, I think, is from like a 16 millimeter print or something like that. It's 52 minutes I think long. So. Yeah. yeah, and it looks considerably worse than the ones we have been watching. And there is no logo in the corner, but it does have more like um, bumpers in between commercial breaks and things. Yes. So, and it does have. If you like the Bourbon Street beat theme, you'll get it plenty you're of times. You hear it a lot. Um, and it does do that thing we've only seen once before. And was it in a Kenny episode? Was it in the other Kenny episode with um, the the pre the just the pre credit scene? It was like where someone comes in and says, "Kenny, you're under arrest" or something like that. Do you remember that? Was that? Yes, I do remember that. Was that the Kenny episode? Are they keeping those out of syndication? You know it. 
it might have. It, oh, I hope not. Um, it, you you might be right, the, though, like that, the Jack, uh, Jack having the that opening teaser. Yeah, that's the one yeah. with the Jack the Rippery thing, and like a cop shows up, and he's like, how you doing, Kenny? Hey, I'm better looking than you. You're under arrest. And then he takes him away, something like that. I may be getting the dialogue wrong. I'm, I'm um, paraphrasing. But, um, uh, but, but, wow, that would be weird. I'd have to go back and look to see if, because um, if, if, that one, I think, may have not looked as good as the others too but um uh yeah it's 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 it starts off really intriguing because there's something very um uh um you know gross um human about it you know like we want this land and we're going to kill and destroy well they're not meant to kill but they accidentally do kill we're we're going to destroy we're going to push people out we're going to do all this stuff to get this land for whatever reason they say it's a housing project it might not be um but then there's also this thing about this older woman who's been waiting for her daughter who drowned to come back for 20 years who suddenly has come back and she's the one who brings kenny in and it's sort of like my daughter she's been gone for 20 years what what happened to her daughter oh her daughter drowned she's but she's back now and so it's like these weird all they throw all these things at you it's like you're right, like, Kenny, this ain't junior partner Kenny anymore. I mean, like, there's so much junk yep. going on. And he does a bit of Rockford. He goes undercover, and he does it pretty well, too. You know, he goes undercover. It's like, well, I'm just uh, to the bad guy. It's basically like, um, I'm interested in your housing project. Of course, my uncle just left me $5 million uh, in Dallas. Mm -hmm. I thought, in South Fork? Is that, is that, where, where, where's, we're in Dallas. <laughs> I believe in that. Um, and, but, but, and, and it's, um, it's, it's, it's pretty like, yeah, Kenny is, is, is pretty large and in charge in this episode. And, and the, the great thing too, we could talk about in a minute, Cal and Rex do show up, but they get like, like Lucy and Viv scenes, sort of off to one side. <laughs> kind of. That's very well put. <laughs> There's a scene where they're they're supposed to be on a fishing trip, yes. and it's clear that Rex is not having a good time. Cal, I think is rex is uh, is not and um there's one scene in particular where they're out in a boat and um <clears throat> rex has uh, just caught a fish and he's trying to reel it in and rex is standing in the boat and cal is standing in the boat and this is a small boat this isn't a uh, a cabin cruiser or anything <laughs> but we are set up perfectly to expect them to both get dunked in the water yes. and you know this here's another fine mess you got, got us into it. type well, of thing yes. it doesn't happen yes. nothing happens it's it, he gets the fish in and um and it, dinner. it's a it's a really yes it's it's a fun um misdirection mm -hmm. and um i uh their their scenes intercut into the Kenny mystery are are a lot of fun, but it also it also gives Kenny free reign because not they're they're not just not in the office they're not in the area they're not near a phone they're not and, near um they're they got an outhouse that kind of that's that kind of cat. so Kenny's Kenny is um for uh, for better or worse Kenny is on his own and I like you I I really enjoy the way he rises to the occasion when mm. he's giving the spiel on uh I want to check all of this out I've got some questions I want to ask you mm. he is he he is so much more 
comfortable and confident than he was at the beginning of the season. And what's nice about this is that setting the Hermanos thing aside, because as I've said, this isn't, wasn't, probably written for him originally but it fits in to the evolution of kenny so well and particularly at the end now at the very end of the episode this isn't taking giving away any of the plot but at the very end of the episode kenny is trying on his cap and gown because he is going to be graduating and it is yeah, it, it is a nice bit of continuity because there are times when we kind of forget that he's in law school. Yes. And it's, uh, it, but it, it, it is bringing that part of Kenny the student to an end. And I think that the whole thing fits together very well. He's not, he's, he's not the character he was at the beginning. No. And as I mentioned, he's head for the character he's going to be in the next a series that he's in so it yes. um whether by accident or design it fits perfectly into his character's arc it it really does and i i will say first um i can't imagine that whatever script this came from there were random scenes of two goofy guys fishing and sitting in a cabin so that to me that must have been yeah. w hermanos or whoever w hermanos is so well done Somebody sir or madam that, yes well done um, and two, um, I, I, I think the thing with Kenny that's interesting is something I, I just, I've just termed, although I probably have been doing a happy days podcast. I, I should have called this before. I call the Joni factor. If you watch happy days to me, the character that grows the most, not just physically is Joni. She starts off as the wise cracking little sister and she's that way for about three or four seasons but then as the show goes on and she becomes a teenager and she becomes a woman, she is actually the one who has, the Fonz has a pretty big arc throughout the show too, but she is the one who throughout the entire show, including Joni Lofshachi, has the big arc throughout the show. She goes mm. from this little wisecracking like 10-year-old kid at the start to being a grown woman who's graduated from college, teaching at a school, getting married at the end. And 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 the thing about it is the show kind of slips that in there. You know, it, 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 if you're just watching the show, oh, Richie's the main character, Fonzie's the main Of course they are. But the character that gets the arc, the character that gets the growth, is this other character. And I like the fact that, like, Kenny starts off, like, you know, it's kind of like this kind of goofy guy, you know, joining in occasionally. But gradually as the show goes along, He's been more and more helpful, and he had his own case. And remember that episode where we got his arms all burnt up with the steam, yes. and everyone laughed, and it was hysterical. You know, and, and now he is I, – he, I, I wouldn't say he's as good a detective as Rex and Cal, but he's, 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 he's where he should be, I think. And, and he's also got the law thing going, so there is like – I'm going to call – he gets the Joni factor for this. He's the secondary character – who by the end has sort of snuck in um, sort of a major uh, story, character arc, that um, we kind of hoped would happen when we saw um, him getting his own episode. And I'm so glad they gave him this. Yes. I I really didn't think in W. Hermanos that they were going to give a crap about giving Kenny. uh, I thought it was just going to be Rex Cal, Rex Cal, Rex Cal until the end. 
So I, I don't think he's going to get another one. We only have four left. I don't think he'll get another one. But at the end of this, I don't think he, I don't think he has to. Well, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I don't. I think it's this episode. I don't think it's the next one. But <clears throat> the true mark of Kenny growing up—it's not just that he's got the uh, the the sport coat and the tie on that he's dressing professionally, but he takes a shoulder holster out of uh, Rex, Rex's desk yes. and straps it on and puts a gun in there. And um, Kenny does not strike me as the kind of person who carries a gun lightly. Yes. And and nor nor is he the kind of guy who's just going to try to bluff you with a gun. He's got that gun because he's going to use it if he needs to. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I um yeah, it's it's um I I I think the the only flaw I have with this episode is that I think when it gets to the end as I mentioned earlier and as I kind of mentioned with a couple of the previous episodes when it gets to the end I think it's the climax isn't as strong as it could be. It um, it basically like Kenny kind of like chases a guy who he catches up with in like four steps and kind of punches him a few times and says, "You're done." That's not quite what it is. But but and and then it's over. And and so the, so the climax <laughs> isn't as as hot as it could be. But it it it, it it's not uh, it's not overcomplicated. It's not ridiculous. It's not. It's. I, I guess the thing at the end of the day is like not every ending to a case is going to involve a crazy car chase or piranha eating people. Sometimes you're just going to be like, there he is, and you're going to catch him. Yep. So, and that's the thing. Like, if this show had gone on as many seasons as uh, 77 Sunset Strip did, or as could you imagine as many seasons as Gunsmoke did? Could you imagine oh. 20 seasons of Bourbon Street Beat? <gasps> Holy we, cow. We wouldn't be talking about this right now if that had happened. But, but, uh, but it's, uh, it's, I think, yeah, th there, there are bits and bits and there, there are a couple things about it that, uh, um, uh, I think sort of the, um, the sort of the way the bad guy and his henchmen sort of work together gets a little muddled a bit. Yes. Um, and I think the um, uh, the Christina character, what she is doing, requires some sort of I don't want to say like a slap on the wrist, but some sort of you shouldn't have done that. Whereas what happens is it's like, oh, that's why you were doing, that, and it just kind of fades away, mm -hmm. and which is weird because I, I don't want to I don't want to spoil that um, because I think I think it's. Um, it's a supernatural-ish element that that I quite like in the episode. It it adds an extra bit of um, zest, you know, just yes. a little. You know, you got the, you got the lemon, and you're just doing the zest, and you just put it on top. It's just a little bit extra that that isn't needed, but is um, is is I think I think is nice. And so, but I'm not gonna. You guys watch that and and come back to us and feel free to comment on what you think about um, whether or not you think. Um, the the go the Christina the ghost should have um, um, give been given a stern talking to I don't know um, but something should have happened maybe I don't know um, but what what else do you have about this one maybe? well a couple of interesting casting notes here the um, the real estate developer who is uh, Kenny's um, antagonist <clears throat> played by an actor named Sam Buffington who 
was um, the the sheriff in a series that I quite like that you might want to consider for a single season um, show on here sometime. It was uh, Whispering Smith with I don't Audie know Murphy. That at all. With wow. Audie, Audie Murphy is is terrific in it, terrific in it, but it is a a western in which you, the sheriff is actually the chief of police, and the two men that are working for him are not deputies; they're detectives. So what we're seeing oh. is the birth of the modern police force. Oh, like in a the heck, West. Heck. Almost like a heck Ramsey. Yeah, it is. Wow. It, it not not so much with the scientific aspect of it, but uh-huh. the terminology and everything. Wow. Audie Murphy is terrific in it, and Sam Buffington is good in it. And um, it was before this episode because the the unfortunate thing about Sam Buffington committed suicide in um, uh. May in May of 1960. So he is actually Jeez, dead by the time this episode airs. Oh wow! It is a good episode. I thought it is, and and he has oh, always he's That's always good. been um, no less than good in what I have seen him in. I've seen him in some other things, and he's always good in that. So that's a kind of a of a sad note on that. But um, the other thing is, on a happier note, we have uh, we have the wonderful Diane McBain. Uh, yes. playing Christina in this and um, this is her third and final appearance on Bourbon Street Beat although she is a favorite of the WB shows so she's in 77 Sunset Strip and she is in fact a regular in Surfside 6 mm. and so my wife immediately asks is she playing the same character wouldn't mm. that be great well yeah. she's not no she's not so <laughs> we you know that was asking a bit too much i'm sure oh, w hermanos um because <laughs> w uh, was it was i was already not a writer and was writing for like eight shows or something and you know you can't you can't do everything you know <laughs> but she is she is in surfside six as a regular so That's uh, right yeah we will we will be seeing uh her together again with uh kenny in that in that series so she is uh, i think um always lights up the screen whenever yes. she's in something yeah. and she was certainly suitably mysterious in this yes I, I i i may have said this before but boy wouldn't a podcast be fun if if we did the 77 sunset strip universe oh you, yes. you started and just the first like what 35 40 episodes of 77 sunset strip and then like the 40th episode is the first episode of the second season of sunset strip first episode of Bourbon Street Beat, first episode of Hawaiian Eye, and then you could just kind of go through them and, oh, that would be super fun. That would be a lot of work now that yes, I said sir. that out loud. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. You were, be... you were merely speculating. You were not, I was, even, this was not any kind of a guarantee or a promise. This was uh, like, you know, do, do, do you remember when that guy killed that hitchhiker a couple episodes ago? Yeah. I was just saying out loud, like when he said, maybe I should kill someone and pretend to be dead and and steal a hundred thousand dollars no he wasn't going to steal he was actually going to take his money and go with my secretary so that's kind of what i was thinking just right there so i am um oh uh who uh estelle winwood is that her name is in this the um the older lady yes yes and the thing i love about estelle winwood is she is one of those actor slash actresses like john carradine who was always old who has mm-hmm. always seemed to be old. I mean, I know Estelle Winwood 
from two main places of the great and wonderful murder by death where she is um uh she where elsa lanchester is uh kind of half dressed like a nurse is kind of pushing her along in a wheelchair and they think she is all the other detectives think that estelle winwood is the miss marple of the story because there are there's a charlie chan there's a nick and nora there's um uh, Sam Spade, that, all that kind of thing. But it turns out that Elsa Lanchester is actually the Miss Marple, and she just takes care of this old lady who likes to goose guys when they walk by and things like that. So so that's the very old Estelle. And, but the other place I know Estelle from is, is, is something you should all watch, a very fun movie called The Magic Sword. Uh-huh. Bird, yes. Bird Eye Gordon made a lot of tripe, but he also made several really fun films he made a film called uh the police connection aka the mad bomber in the early to mid 70s which is a really like if you see the r-rated version is a really like tough rough quite well done cop thriller um and he also made a super fun fantasy film the magic sword he also made some really weird like teen tna films in the 80s which um i can recommend but not wholeheartedly for folks who are watching Bourbon Street Beat. Um, but Magic Sword is a super fun fantasy film, and she's in it. And I first saw the Magic Sword on Mystery Science Theater 3000 back in 19... Oh my God, 1992? What? That just doesn't seem possible. Seem, I mean, that was the fourth... No, 90... Yeah, it was. Yeah, the fourth season began... 28 years ago. Oh my God, the fourth season of the show on Comedy Central began around July 4th, um, 1992. I finished my first year at college. I was working at Grossman's, which was a hardware store. There's a little Grossman's in everyone. There's a little Grossman in you, which was always a weird theme, but uh, that we went with it. I was the paint guy. I used to mix paint for people Um, until I was the guy who sat in the little cabin in the back you know, like if you've been to a hardware store where they have like a back with all the lumber and everything, and there's always a guy who steps out with like a clipboard and checks off what you've got to make sure you haven't stolen anything. I was that guy during the winter. So during one of the coldest winters in Rochester, New York, when it was snowing every day, I sat in a tiny cabin with a cassette player. I was uh, had a bunch of books. I had a, a little thing with hot cocoa. And I would sit there. No one would come back there because you couldn't get back there. But through the rules of the store, someone had to be sitting there for eight hours. So I spent a month sitting there. Not not the entire month. Eight hours. You know, 40 hours a week. <laughs> sitting in this little cab. It was the best. Oh, it was the best dumb job I've ever had. Oh, my. Because you would sit there all day and folks would forget about you. Like, And I would come in after four hours to take my lunch and they'd be like, Dan, how you doing? I'm fine. I've got a little space heater. I brought a bunch of cassettes. I'm listening to music. I'm listening to the radio. I'm reading books. I'm, it's fantastic. I've got a little, little the pot. I'm doing hot cocoa. It's fantastic. No one shows up. It's a blizzard. Who's going to show up? <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. I don't know where that tangent came from, but um, what was I talking about? Why did I go there? Um, there was probably a reason. Um <laughs> We were talking know. about um, about oh. uh, Mystery Science Theater. Mm. Yeah, because um, that was that was when I started working in Grossman's, and uh, and I remember the fourth season was the one that I taped religiously, 
every every episode. And Magic Sword was maybe I don't remember episode twelve, thirteen, something like that. It was super fun, but at the start of season four, there was a, a movie called City Limits which was a post-apocalyptic-ish kind of film made by the guys who made Android. Android was awesome. City Limits, not as much. But City Limits had Kim Cattrall in it. And Crow fell in love with Kim Cattrall and sang her a song. And apparently she, like, sent him a letter at some point or something, and it was just fun. But then, like, ten episodes later, he falls in love with Estelle. And he sings a song, Crow sings a song about Estelle in there. And Joel, Joel is like, wait a minute, you're giving up Kim Cattrall for Estelle Winwood? And Crow's like, I can't help it. She's everything to me. So, yeah, it was just, and, and so it's always like, whenever I see her, I always think of, I forget, I think Crow had a song for, I haven't watched that episode in a while. But he does but have always, a, a song about Kim Cattrall, yeah. He does, yes. Kim, 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 Kim Cattrall, you're really swell. I bet you smell great or something like that. I don't know if he has a song for Estelle, but he falls for her. And I, just, I think he does have a song because I remember Tom being like, I think Tom more than Joel was really like, really? You're giving up Kim Cattrall for Estelle Winwood? What? Well, the uh, rhyming Cattrall Estelle, you've got to think that there's a song. Oh, that's, yes. I think there may, but yeah, I got to watch that episode again. That's a fun season of, of that show. It's a fun show, folks. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that's where I always think of Estelle <laughs> Winwood when I, when I think of her. Um, what else do you have in this? I'm going to scan my notes. Um, I think that that's pretty much it, although I have noticed something in the last couple of episodes that um, it sounds an awful lot like the climactic scenes in these the last two or three episodes sound like they're part the, the the music in them sounds like it comes from Batman. I, I'm watching this, <laughs> this detective series set in New Orleans, and Kenny's chasing the bad guy, and all of a sudden, it, we've turned into Gotham City, and they're playing Batman music. It's uh, Neil Hefty showed up. Yeah. It, it, yeah. <laughs> so that that's uh, the only other thing that um, that I was going to say. Although Estelle Winwood did uh, appear, of course, in Batman, but um, oh, yes. oh, oh, yes. I, I wrote Batman down here. Yes, Marsha, Queen of Diamonds, and her aunt. Her, she's the crazy aunt. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she's super fun. But she... I wrote Batman down there, and I think that was what it was about. So. Mm -hmm. All right. So I, I think I'm just gonna. I think I'm. I think I'm good. Um. I do like that. Unlike some of the previous ones where Rex or Cal or someone shows up to help out at the end, Kenny takes care of this all by himself. And Rex yes. and Cal return from the fishing trip, see him with 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 Christina, and like, where are you going? Oh, we're going to the um, uh, the the uh, courthouse. Oh, what a traffic ticket? No, I solved the murder, and we're going to do something or other. <laughs> okay. And the great thing is, like, if I remember correctly, Rex and Cal are like, okay, and they're 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 not even really they're like they're still doing their own thing. Yeah, they don't you're have, right. They, they don't have like a what moment. But uh, so I am. I'm so glad that we got another um, Kenny episode. I like I said, I don't think we're gonna get another one, um, but Kenny will still be here. Um, and so uh, uh, Mitchell, if you don't have anything else, or if you, if you do have anything else, please let it fly. Um, what what we, we, we where can we find you online? Um, you can find me writing about uh, classic TV and American culture over at. It's about TV.com. That's I T S about 
TV.com. And I suppose I ought to mention that I'm also on um, Twitter, Facebook, and uh, YouTube. Yes. And you can link to uh, those sites through the It's About TV website and uh, subscribe for uh, more of my pithy comments on uh, the state of television. Yes, yes. I, I quite enjoy stuff, Mitchell. And, Mitchell, um, uh, forgive me, did you not write a book? or? Yes, yes, I did. Oh, tell, tell I, me, I, um, please. You're only interested, uh, I'm speaking of the listening audience, you're interested in the TV book that I wrote, which is called The Electronic Mirror, and a um, series of essays that really try to explain how um, classic TV describes the past, the present, and the future, and everything in between, uh, which is, uh, if you like, it's about TV. You'll love the electronic mirror. So I would encourage you to go to um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, and uh, you can also reach it through the It's About TV website. Click buy. It's as easy as that. Yeah, I have a copy. I've read it. I've, I've read it twice uh, through, and uh, I will probably read it again soon. It's one of those books like like um, Amanda Reyes's um, Are You in the House Alone or 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 Joanna Wilson's The Triple Dog Dare, where she does the Christmas, mm-hmm. um, the 24-hour Christmas uh, story thing. And that's not just because I'm in both of those books, but those are books I, I you know, on days when you're like, what do I want to read now? And you're like, I can't quite, it's like, I, I want I, I want to read this again. And you dive in and you read it again. So I, I, I think it's a fantastic book. Well, I thank and, you. Uh, I'm honored to I, be in that company. I, I, and I... I I'm anxious for your. I'm. I'm not. I'm not anxious like I'm shaking, but I'm anxious. You're to read, eager. Uh, what, I'm eager. I'm eager. Yeah. That would be it. I'm eager <laughs> uh, to read your next book. So, so that was Fair to Algiers, and that was. Um, sorry about that hardware store uh, tangent I went on, folks. That had happened sometimes. And next up, we have one called Wagon Show, which involves a carnival and carnies. So you know, I, I enjoy that. Yes. So, so let's. Um, let me wrap this up. And it was well, not like you're gonna. You, you, you guys got to wait a couple weeks, but maybe Mitchell and I will be talking about this in about thirty seconds after I say goodbye. Shadow Chasers episode 4, The Middle of Somewhere, December 5th, 1985, written by Rene and uh, Harry Longstreet, and directed by Chuck Braverman, also starring Bart Braverman. Could they have been related? I forgot to look it up. I'm sure someone can tell me. This episode, so yeah, so this is the fourth episode, and yes, I will be probably mentioning something Christmassy um, in this, because this would have been... Uh, well, let me tell. Let me give. Let me give you the plot breakdown first. So this one begins with a Dr. Morehouse and Jonathan on a plane going to some sort of convention, symposium, something like that. They're in the vicinity of the South of the United States. Benedict happens to be on the plane, also flirting with the stewardess, and um, the plane. Yeah, it doesn't go so great with the plane. Doctor Morehouse, you look terrific. John, boy, do you look awful. Thank you very much. Old Orville up there is probably sweating howitzers. Ah, what a comfort you must be in a real crisis. Ah, we'll be all right. You know, Doctor M, 
Airline pilots are the most reliable source for UFO sightings. Trained, educated observers who don't really rattle in a crisis like this. <laughs> you know, before the Air Force shut down Project Blue Book, the best sightings they had were from pilots. Oh, let him fly again. I mean, let him fly. Relax, division. Smiling, Jack. I checked both our horoscopes this morning. You're a Pisces. No problem. and Jonathan wakes up sort of in the rubble and sees a woman, young woman with like a white, like, uh, you know, aviator, aviatrix sort of scarf around her neck. And then he wakes up in a weird room with sort of two kind of slabs and he and uh, Benedict are both nude uh, with towels wrapped around them and Benedict doesn't seem that well. And um, let me, I'm, I'm going to play you this little clip here because one of the things about when they land is they talk about how, um, their ears are ringing and one of like one side of Benedict is, is numb and Jonathan isn't feeling great. And just, I just want you to listen to this. This is basically two people enter and leave them some clothes and begin to leave. And this is just a, a brief scene with them. Whoa, 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 whoa. How are you doing? Hello. Welcome. This is actually... Where are we welcome? When you're dressed out, I think it's Susan Cooper. But Dr. Morehouse and everybody else, are they all right? No, wait a minute! Doctor, we don't need doctors here. My entire left side feels numb. My ears are ringing. And I feel like you're talking to me through a funnel. I feel dizzy. Now, why were our faces completely covered? You know what I think? But I don't want to know what you think. We're going to go and get dressed. We're going to go and see Dr. Cooper and get some medical attention. We're, we're fine. We just had a shock. We're fine. We just had a shock. We're fine. We're, we, we are fine. We're just fine. We just had a shock. We had a shock. All I'm asking for is a few simple answers to a few simple questions. Surely you can tell us something. Hello? Dr. Morehouse is very important. So they seem to be, well, they're in the middle of, well, somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And, and as they're kind of strolling wherever it is they are, this strange ethereal place where it all sounds like the audio you just heard, they see Elvis singing for a bunch of people. And they meet a woman who seems to be Amelia Earhart and another gentleman who's wide Earp. And they meet a Dr. Cooper who's in charge of everything and who might be God and who gives them some mineral water that makes them pass out and they wind up it's there's there's um there's a lot of are you well, well we'll get into this but 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 basically um 
uh, a little after they meet Dr. Cooper and some of these other people, they wind up in more or less a mess hall where um, dinner is bologna and potato chips. And uh, we get this scene where they are welcomed to... Um, it's, it's... They call it... What is it? They call it uh, white water. I hope they call it white water because they're going to say it about 20 times in this... Uh, white wood. It's white wood. Sorry. They call it white wood. And uh, li listen to this scene. The woman you'll hear is Amelia Earhart. Excuse me. I'm very worried about my friend, Dr. Morehouse. She was on the same plane as us. She's an older woman. Well, she's not that old, but she's gray. I saw her. At least I think I saw her. She was breathing. You know, I was in the plane crash, too. That's why I'm here. Uh, well, could you tell us where she is? I mean, it's very important that we find her. Uh, Amelia, you probably heard about me. I crashed in 1937. I've been here a long time. Amelia Earhart? And you met Wyatt, too? Earp? He's not exactly with the welcome wagon. Amelia, what exactly is this place? You don't know? You've never heard of the white one? No. You don't know what the white wood is? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Amelia. Enough. She didn't even raise her hand. I, I want to share something with all you nice people. Now, I don't want to step on nobody's blue suede shoes, but I want to change one thing. I think we should go to Blue Hawaii first, and then we'll all spin out and have some fun in Acapulco. We can stay at Heartbreak. Let's give out with a big hand. We'll talk about that later. Mr. Cooper, they don't know what the white wood is. <laughs> I think we're getting a pretty good idea. <laughs> I think it's a spoiler to say that yeah it turns out they're not in heaven they're in a state asylum in the middle of nowhere i think in mississippi laurel laurelwood county mississippi a route 17 and uh, it looks like the um the inmates have taken over the asylum a la don't look in the basement or asylum or oh wait a minute that's a spoiler the a la don't look in the basement how about that and don't listen to the other thing i just said so the middle middle of summer now i have said before that this is the episode when the nine originally aired uh this was the one i didn't see because there was i imagine ronald reagan was given a speech i uh, living on the east coast that the speeches would come up around eight and and get in the way of your television and so i do not i, I did not see this episode i completely missed this episode the next one Parts Unknown I remember, but this one I did not see until I was able to acquire some episodes maybe, jeez, was it eight years ago, nine years ago? So I finally saw it. 
and um, uh, obviously this is this is the start of uh, Christmas season 1985 I was 12 and I, I think I believe I've said this in previous episodes possibly but I'm gonna say it again right here because it's fun and I'm actually gonna start the episode playing to my left danger danger do 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 yeah middle of somewhere and um, oh I, I got the volume up there you can hear the episode oh Dr. Morehouse. It looks like she's going to have a lot to do, but then she doesn't really have much to do at all. And so it was the, yeah, um, that was 85. And my mom had married my stepdad. They're still together uh, in February of 85. And our first sort of Christmas together with all of us was 83, where we went to see A Christmas Story and then shopped at the Long Ridge Mall, Greasetown Mall in Greece, New York. And I know between... I think the last family shop I did was 88. It could have been 89, but I remember 88 vividly and not 89 so much. But I remember what was it? Um, Because between 84 and 88, when you were done getting gifts for everyone, which was the point of our shop, we would go out for the shop like in the first weekend, uh, the weekend after Thanksgiving, not the Thanksgiving weekend, but the weekend after Thanksgiving, we'd go out for a family shop on like a Saturday or Sunday. 83, I don't remember what I, I... We would treat ourselves to something. 83, I don't remember. 84 was Batman and the Outsiders, Who's Afraid of the Big Red S issue. You can look that up. And Who's Who, issue one. Who's Who's still one of my favorite comics. I think I have them around here somewhere. And, oh no. Yeah, they're around here somewhere. And, let's see, Who's Who. And then 86. Six was um, oh the Doctor Who novelization of Fury from the Deep I believe oh, that could be lying that could have been eighty f- no that wasn't eighty five I think that was that was eighty six uh, I could be wrong there eighty seven was was two uh, Samantha Fox posters if you go on to my um, uh, pieces in pieces uh, podcast which I've just begun you'll hear me tell that story and then eighty eight was Peter Gabriel the Melting Face album because i remember i was in a walden books and and this was when i'd become a fan of genesis and i hadn't i didn't own any peter gabriel albums and i was looking through the um rolling stone record guide the second edition the blue one and they gave the melting face album five stars i thought "Hmm, interesting so i purchased that for myself and 85 was uh monty python instant record collection i've been a monty python fan since probably about 82 and um this was the first of their albums i bought so this was this was this was a fun time period um and this was also 85 geez louise this would have been i'm trying to think um no, no, I was trying to think, because one of the things with Doctor Who in the 80s was that seasons were premiering in, like, November, December, around when they had a big telethon thing around the holidays. So it was like, I remember season 20 premiering around um, uh, November, December of 83, Season 21 was around December of 84 because The Awakening was on the night before uh, I went and bought that, the Who's Who. Um, But this year, season 22 didn't air until August of 86. But then seasons 23, 4, 5, and 6 aired in the Decembers 
of 87, 88, 89, and 90. But this year there wasn't new Doctor Who, unfortunately, on, although we were all sitting around desperately waiting to see season 22, but you know what went on there. Anyway, oh, forgive me, that, that was a little tangent, but this is because this is, this is, as I've said earlier, this is one of those shows that has a very strong uh, nostalgic pull for me. This episode, however, apart from the... Uh, uh, sort of commercial preview for it which I mentioned last time uh, this one does not have the nostalgia pull for me, for me since, since I just watched it a little while ago so what do I think of this episode well I'm a big fan of Renee and Harry Longstreet's um, uh, is it Henry or Harry I don't know uh, Mr. and Mrs. Longstreet's uh, work uh, you know they, they did uh, they worked with Ken Johnson before you know like cliffhangers and, and so I, I'm familiar with their names and it's an interesting episode because first off the the previous ones all had an element of a supernatural left over this one does not at all at the end of it everything's explained spoiler well it would be i already said that earlier on but it's um it's 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 kind of a weird episode because for the first 20 minutes or so they kind of keep you hanging like you know they're not they're not dead you know, Benedict keeps insisting that they're in heaven, and Jonathan is is not really sure about that. And you heard the audio in that. There's a wonderful thing. Yeah, like when they wake up on these slabs, the the audio does this. Well, it's not slide. They're they're more or less like um, hospital um, operating room type. I keep calling them slabs, um, but there is something very cool about the distorting the audio like that and they do that for about eight minutes straight of the episode there are like three scenes the one in that that room with the the, the hospital thingies uh the, when they see the uh, elvis uh, the king playing and then when they go to see mr cooper dr cooper um there, there's all this kind of hazy audio which kind of like 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 ben says you know it sounds like you're talking to me through a funnel and which i think is pretty cool i, I think it and is rather um I do wonder if it's it's one of those things where where people would have um like been adjusting the uh, uh volume on their TVs or something when they were watching now granted when they were watching it this this was like the lowest rated show of its season so there was almost no one watching it and on the east coast we weren't watching it so i mean there was let's say there were maybe 20 people in the US who watched this when it originally aired i wonder if they diddled around with the um the volume uh because i think it's i think it's really well done and the tricky thing is that once we get to the lunchroom and it becomes very apparent very quickly that yes indeed this is an insane asylum it's tricky the the sort of i mean the the, the episode still stays strong and it's got a decent pace to it but um it kind of the interest level drops because when like like when when benny was had that out-of-body experience of the previous episode that was like what's going on what's happening you know and then it was over it's like let's let's talk about it what 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 just happened there but this is like once we learn that oh no we're in an asylum um okay so it just involves them getting out of the asylum is what it is and hopefully finding like um if if the uh, inmates have taken over finding where the doctors are being held finding where dr morehouse is and and they do a weird thing with the structure where um, Benny, Benny, who isn't well throughout, he's got, he's always clutching um, his neck. I don't know if that's whiplash or concussion. He, he, he's bleeding from his ear at one point. I'm, I'm no doctor. I know you all think I am, but I'm not. Um, but he's clearly in a bad way throughout the entire 
uh, episode. And he keeps strong throughout. He even hot wires a car at one point. But they do the, they do a weird thing. They they hot wire this car, and they start driving out of the asylum. And you know it's sort of said that they they really are in the middle of nowhere. And um, even if they get out, where are they going to go? And it's weird because they like they're they're getting chased by the inmates, including the guy who thinks he's Wyatt Earp and the woman who, th- who thinks she's Amelia Earhart. And they run into the gates, and the gates don't come down. Uh, it, I think my favorite line comes right after that, where um, um, uh, where Benedict yells something along the lines of like, "Those are some great gates," and they try to get out, um, but they 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 get you know the uh, Earp and everyone is after them, and they meet up with Amelia, and Amelia says she'll help them get a key, and so, so and they they go back to the asylum to try to break out the doctors and and um. Um, uh, Professor Morehouse, but it, it's one of those weird structured episodes where they, they, and like the gates are weird too because they're just gates and they can kind of go around the gates. Um, so, so it's kind of weird where like it's like they're about to escape and they sort of do, but then they turn around and go back in to the place and sort of it's. <laughs> To me, once they go back into the place, I, the 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 level of interest dropped. I would have loved if they had got out of the place and maybe like found a nearby town or something, and or you know maybe that was this weird too or something like that. I don't know, but it's it's just it's one of yeah. It's 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 structured really oddly because like, like i said for the first i mean like the, the the version i have the this episode is 47 minutes and for the first 22 or 23 almost but not quite halfway we're a little unsure of where we are and what's going on then the moment we find out what's going on i think it struggles to keep the interest unfortunately um I think not in a bad way. It never gets boring, but it just never. It never. The second half isn't as good as the first half. Basically, when it has to justify what it is, I think it would have been a lot cooler if it were some really weird place that they had to escape from, rather than just an asylum in the middle of nowhere, where a um, and they say in the end that that Cooper is an attendant who one and and all the um, inmates trust him, and one day he had them lock up all the doctors and he took over the place. And the thing is, the, uh, Cooper is played by Jeffrey Lewis, and if if you know your movies, you're thinking the exact same thing I'm thinking when you see him in charge of an asylum. Human experiments from 1980, and you're going, okay, yeah, he's up to something, and indeed he is up to something. And I don't know what exactly he's doing, keeping Benedict and and Mackenzie or Jonathan there. That that's sort of never. It's just, it's implied that um, he is uh, at first that he's one of the inmates, but then he's it's like he's like one of the attendants, and then they say sort of like he's been there since like 1971, right after Thanksgiving, which would have been what 14 years before this episode aired, uh, and Cooper. You know where I'm going with the last name Cooper, um, and I like that. But but it is sort of implied that he's an attendant who's been there for over a decade, and just one day this happened, and maybe he's a little nuts. And clearly he is a little nuts. But it's not like it, it's not like uh, the attendants took over. Oh, I was going to say another movie where that happens, but that would be a spoiler. Um, 
don't let me say the movie I was going to say. But yeah, it's 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 kind of weird cuz it's um once you reach the point where there's the big food fight and it's which you you know and we're in an insane asylum at that point it just becomes to me sort of biding time until they can get out and you hope there'll be a fun explanation but the explanation is very basic and almost slightly garbled in that okay so was this guy nuts i i guess he was um but uh yeah it's um is it is it a great episode? Not really. Um, I, I think Shadow Chasers will get it gets better as it goes along. And this one, the first half when it's in supernatural ish town, is really quite good. I think, especially the disorientating um, audio. But once it settles into the plot, yeah. So let's let's go. So we got so we got Mackenzie here, who's really annoying in the opening scene. You know, which you heard some of when he's getting sick on the plane. And he, I mean, he's the one who doesn't believe. It's weird because Benedict had the out of body experience. He technically died and went out of his body and kind of went towards heaven. And so, but he thinks this is heaven? This doesn't look anything like the place he went to in the previous thing. And. So so it gets a little weird because you would think they'd flip it and make like Mackenzie, but then Mackenzie wouldn't be the character who would say, hey, we're in heaven. I mean, he has a good point, too, where uh, Dr. Cooper gives them... Because for a second, it's like, could Dr. Cooper be God? Dr. Co- Jeffrey Lewis, maybe. Um, uh, uh, Dr. Cooper gives them mineral water. They drink it, and it's drugged, and they pass out. And when Benedict is saying, well, I think we're in heaven, Jonathan says, hey, you know, you don't pass out when you're dead. Which to me makes sense. So it's it's you know I know we this is the mid eighties and we're not too big on continuity from episode to episode in shows like this. But you know Benedict died in the previous one, had an out of body experience, and then was pulled back you know, to his body and came back alive and him thinking he's dead here just because he has some ringing in his ears and, and side of his body is not... That, that confuses me too. Like, if you're dead, why would you have the ringing in your ears and why would the side of your body be numb? You know, if, if I'm... De- you know, when I'm dead, if I go somewhere after I die, somewhere hopefully pleasant, uh, with bologna and potato chips for lunch. I do love the bologna and potato chips for lunch because that that sort of to me that <laughs> to me that does say like the 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 uh, the uh, inmates have taken over. And I was like, hmm, what would I like? Hmm, bologna and potato chips. So that's what everyone's having. So, but I just think, um, yeah, it's it's just a it's just a weird uh, uh, Mackenzie's. Uh, I, I Mackenzie is pretty level headed. Always like we need to find Doctor Morehouse. We need to find Doctor Morehouse, and, and Benedict is is the whole time very much, you know, we're dead, Jonathan. We're dead until the food fight and the we got to get the heck out of here thing. Um, let's see what else. Yeah, yeah. Um, Doctor Morehouse doesn't do much. Uh, they're all putting. Um, it, it's funny that Doctor Morehouse is putting a. Uh, a straitjacket and thrown in a rubber room but Mackenzie isn't they're both doctors and they both find the information on them I'm not sure why 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 Mackenzie and Benedict are I, mean, I never quite figured out why Mackenzie and Benedict are chosen from the survivors of the plane crash to be the ones to sort of be led into 
their the world and um Amelia Earhart eating a donut is delightful. She gets this powdered donut and she gets it all over the place. I I think I think one of the 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 points of fortune when they do goof is that once you learn that these are not the actual people like like when they run into D'Artagnan or whichever one of the three musketeers that is they run into when they're returning from the gates back to the place that scene to me ends up feeling a bit like filler uh because we know he's a nut you know or early on at the start before we know exactly what's going on because it could go either way for a little while especially when the audio is so screwy because it's so it's so distracting it could go either way uh, but but then once we know where we are and we know that they're all goofs um it's like uh, seeing another one is just is like i said is filler unfortunate that's kind of what uh it's it's weird i uh it's funny i almost feel like when i think we we said this before in this podcast but sometimes it's like what if this episode weren't an hour long but like 45 minutes so so for example it would be what like um i don't know like 35 minutes long or something like that 40 35 to 40 minutes long um you know like maybe maybe um uh uh say eight or nine minutes shorter than it is i think it would be perfect but as it is the second half drags for me uh the guy who does elvis is uh, is the guy who plays elvis the king on last precinct which is cool and he's got some funny moments especially when he has a thing where um uh, doc, uh dr mr cooper there has said that they're all leaving the asylum and everyone's leaving and they're going to begin new lives and um and and suddenly Elvis says to Amelia in a Jerry Lewis voice, you know, I, I, it's weird. Now that we're leaving, I don't want to be Elvis anymore. And I'm not going to do a Jerry Lewis voice for you, hey lady. Um, but it's it's an episode that um, I don't know. Uh, in the second half, it lets it down, and I I just think there could be it could be a little sharper in the second half. I don't know why. Normally the uh, yeah I. It's just too, it's kind of too bad. Um, it's again, it's not a bad episode. I think it's definitely worth watching, and I've had it almost having it play in the background works better than having it up front in your mind. Yeah, I mean, I do applaud Dennis uh, Dugan for um, um, you know, like holding on to his neck for for quite a bit of the time because of his injury. Um, but they are there for like. 24 hours or something so whatever injury it has it can't be that terrible you you think it would have would have would have hurt him more um yeah so yeah the middle of somewhere um was i glad when i finally saw it yeah i was i um i knew they weren't dead because i'd seen the next episode um but i wanted to see where they were and the moment you kind of i, I think what it is is the moment the audio clears up until as as long as the audio is going crazy you're sitting there going what's happening this could be a weird thing the moment the audio clears up you're like oh okay i get where they are all right and it's kind of like now they have to get out of there and it's okay it's okay yeah um you know uh yeah <laughs> sorry folks um i do love the show um, but it, it it does have its uneven moments. The the like I said, the first like twenty two or so minutes. Yes, the remaining twenty four are pretty iffy. 
Um, although the guys are giving it their all. I cannot, I cannot um, fault them for that. So that is the middle of somewhere episode four of shadow chasers next up is parts unknown i haven't checked the date on uh parts unknown uh i would imagine it is um december 12th 1985 but i, I could be horribly wrong and uh yeah so um let me uh play a bit of this and then we'll go on oh boy here we go to this I've said this many times in the show, and I think this may be the 15th time or so I've said this, but all good things come to an end, and Masquerade mm-hmm. ends here with Flashpoint, the 13th episode, and um, I, I, I actually forgot to look to see when it was made in the, the production order, but this is the unaired episode in its original airing of Masquerade, written by Charles Kinboat and directed by Phil Bondelli, and... Um, I, well, I guess I'd better introduce you to my uh, my podcast pal, my good friend, the incomparable, the astounding, the ever-expandingly wonderful Amanda Reyes. Amanda, how are you? I'm good. I have a question, though. Where did yeah, you yeah. get the writer's name? Was that in the credits? Yes, yes. Kin, kin Bote? Kin, okay, because... Yeah, I'm only asking because I pulled up the IMDb page just because I always end up forgetting or I do, or there's an actress whose name I don't I'm not as familiar with, mm-hmm. and so just to reference it and, I, and they have the writer listed as Glenn A. Larson and I wonder if oh. that's because it was an unaired episode and when they were updating the info onto IMDb they just put Glenn A. Larson as a default. Oh, possibly. Yeah. Let me. Look, I actually have it right here because the writer's name comes up when Richard Lynch. Um, is stealing uh, uh, Van Dyke's. No, I'm kidding. He's stealing uh, Uranium-235. And the credit comes up right here. Oh, no, it's Creative Consultant. Well, the Creative Consultant was Paul Mason, everyone. Hey, thank you, Paul. Here it is. Charles Kinbote, or Kinbote, K-I-N-B-O-T-E. IMDB. Get Interesting. On yeah. Um, yeah, they're not known for being completely reliable, but this uh, is just a really good case. So, like, yeah. if people could save this little tidbit of the podcast, so that when they're telling people not to always trust IMDb for information, yeah. we can we can play this for them. So, I um, did I ask how you were doing? I'm sorry, we got Kimboteed away. <laughs> There's nothing like getting Kimboteed. I prefer that away. over talking about myself. <laughs> Yeah, um, that that was a big song the year this came out, right? Yes, yes, it was. It was it was the second big hit from the guy who uh, did the Romancing the Stone song. You remember that? I'm Romancing the Stone. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh my God, is that what's that guy's name? I don't know. Eddie. Remember. Oh, Eddie. Yeah, Eddie. Um. He did. Oh, of course, he did Eddie Money. No, um, Eddie. Um. No, that's what no, I'm no, thinking. Eddie, but Eddie, he, he Eddie, did. Eddie, um, Eddie, he Eddie. did. Um, Electric Avenue. Yes. Yeah. Oh, gosh. He's Eddie Grant. Eddie Grant. Eddie Grant. Was it Eddie Grant? Okay. Positive. Okay. All right. 
I think so. It is I now. Think that sounds right. That he, sounds we got right. Kimbo Tate again because we're we not got positive. Kimbo Tate. Um, I'm romancing <laughs> the stone, Kimbo Tate. Um, so this episode, so what I'm going to do, I'm just going to do uh, like like we do, like we do. Um, uh, I'm going to go through a brief uh, plot breakdown. And then we'll discuss the episode. And then at the very end, we'll discuss, since this is the end of Masquerade, we'll discuss uh, just sort of our basic thoughts on Masquerade. Although we've recorded these discussions over a very long period of time. So I don't <laughs> I don't fully remember when we began. But it's okay, folks, because shit happens. And we're all okay, so that's good. Um, so the basic premise of this one is that Richard Lynch plays looking very much like the character he was uh played in a manimal episode just like well this didn't air but around the same time um he he plays a russian a general i believe um uh we're just going to call him richard lynch I, i'm sure i wrote his name down here i write so many notes down and why uh no colonel lubov is Sybil danning and he's vladimir something or other is richard lynch's character he steals a bunch of um uh, uh, uranium-235 from the Soviets. 20 kilograms? No, no, that's not right. Kilograms are crazy. What? 20-something um, or other grams of U-235, enough to make a bomb. And he's going to create... A, he goes to Madrid with it, and the Soviets know about it, and we know about it. And the, uh, we send um, Lavender, and the Soviets send Sybil Danning. Um, uh, I was very jealous. As you do. Yes, as you, as you, as you will do. Um, and this is the most dressed I've ever seen Sybil Danning in a movie, apart from the shower scene. <laughs> she looked really beautiful in this. I have to say, I mean, she's beautiful anyway, but she looked yeah. really beautiful in this episode. Yeah, this is this is her, like, a, a year or so before, like, Howling 2, and around the time of, um, what is it, is it They're Playing With Fire? What's that one? Is that is that the right movie? Am I thinking of that right? Airplane oh. with Fire is my favorite, but yeah. I prefer the sequel, to be honest. Oh, really? Is there one? Airplane with Fire 2, this time it's personal. <laughs> oh, sure. Oh, I love it. Oh, I love it so much. Yeah, it's very good. It's, it's very, very good. Um, Airplane 3, Airplane with Fire 3, Nothing the Evil Ever Dies. Also good. <laughs> also good. Also good. Uh, they're, they're, yeah, they're with three uh, Fire 3D. Um, and... Um, uh, oh, you're playing with fire. I thought you said airplane. I oh, thought you airplane. said airplane with fire. I <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's so I the... was like, oh, airplane with I thought you made that up. No, <laughs> no of course, playing with fire with Eric Brown and Jamie yes. Prime. Yes, yes, of course. Yes, 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 yes. Um, uh, I'm sorry, folks. We're, um, yeah, we're just, we're hanging out. We're, you know, we're, we're talking masquerade. Um, so, uh, so he goes to Madrid. Richard Lynch, uh, we call him Vlad, Vladimir Richard Lynch, the general, goes to Madrid. Sybil Danning brings a bunch of folks to there to try to find him, and Lavender brings a gang. Um, you know, um, uh, Kirstie Alley and Greg Evigan. And uh, Greg Evigan's character's name is Danny, and Kirstie Alley's name character's name is Rebecca. What's her? What's Casey. Her, Casey. Oh no, 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 Casey. Casey, yes. I forgot to look it up. Casey, why do I? Thirteen episodes in, I never remember it. Uh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, those of you, you, know, from... oh, you don't need to know it now. Yeah. Now, now who cares? No, no, I'm kidding. Um, but those of you tuning in for the Kirstie Alley content of this show, I apologize. Um, so they, the, the plan is this, that they, they, 
um, they're, they're going to they're they're sort of liaison. Mr. Lavender is uh, um, and Colonel Lubov, uh, who is Sybil Danning, are going to sort of liaison and work together as best they can. Although you know, there's the stamp. It's 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 sort of a calmer version of like Spy Who Loved Me kind of thing, um, and. Uh, they bring on board four Americans to help out. And I'm not going to get all these names right, but uh, John Quilty or something like that, Richard Hatch, who's a nuclear physicist, uh, Mary Humbert, who is with like a nuclear like watchdog, nuclear power like watchdog group called Nest. And they kind of are at odds the whole time. Um, and they bring on the, oh crap, I didn't write the name down very well. Is it the... It's Claire and Harold. I forget their last name because I can't read what I wrote. Heingen, Heingen, Hage, Heisen, Has. I don't know. So I think it's I think it's Smith. It's Smith. Claire and Harold Smith with an H are brought on board. Claire, uh, uh, <laughs> played by Ruth Buzzy. Oh, I for, I forgot to say who who is it who plays Mary? I forget the actress's name. Why am I, I forgetting her name? I think it's I think it's Reed Shelton. Okay. And the only reason why I'm saying that is because when I was watching the credits, mm-hmm. I thought it said Red Skelton. <laughs> and then I, then there was no Red Skelton. Good, na- good night, when God bless. I was bless. going back yeah. on IMDb, like, <laughs> yeah, when I was going back to look at the things, I was like, oh, she Reed Shelton was in the main credits, so that must be the actress who plays the nuclear watchdog because I didn't recognize her. Yes, I didn't. I didn't. It's it's weird because the cast is pretty kick ass. When, when the when the guest cast yeah. in alphabetical order is going, like like the um, Ruth Buzzy I think is the first one, and Ruth Buzzy through, um, geez Kenneth Mars or Ken Mars is pretty much the entire yes, right, guest Ken. cast. Yeah, and and every every name is like oh hey whoa huh yeah, and it's a great. And, mix, and then Reed Shelton's name comes up, and I just thought of Freddy the Freeloader's Christmas special back from the early 80s, which I used to watch with my sister every year. But it wasn't that. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it said Red Skelton. I thought, what an interesting casting choice. Yes, and then yes. it didn't even occur to me till later on that there was no Red Skelton in there. <laughs> Red Skelton certainly, certainly was not in there. No, no, he was not. Red Skelton in, and I saw Jack Benny, and I saw Jackie Gleason. They were all there. It was fantastic. <laughs> um, so, um... Uh, so so uh, yeah so the the couple are there Claire and Harold Claire is a computer programmer and one of three people in America who can program a computer in Russian <laughs> which is very specific um, yes. and, and Harold her husband is a heating expert and the, the 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 it's very basic in that the two people John and Mary John and Mary um, are are um, going to basically pinpoint where. Uh, uh, Vladimir is with his uranium and his scientific goons. We get scientific goons in this one um, who are making the bomb, and they're basically going to send it to a city and detonate it. And it looks like at first it's like New York, then maybe it's Washington, D.C., and then it kind of changes in the end. Well, it doesn't kind of change. It changes in the end. And so while John and Mary are the ones who are going to pinpoint where the uranium is, um, it will be Claire's job to hack into the computer that the that Vladimir and his pals are using, which kind of monitors the temperatures of the U2, uh, uranium-235 and this, that, and the other, while Harold is basically, like, in the boiler room, like, he's going to fiddle around with the temperature to hopefully... Hopefully, the, the plan is that 
they have to separate Richard Lynch and his guys from the bomb and then grab the bomb and then separately grab uh, Vladimir and his people because if, if they catch them together, he can activate the, the bomb. And so that's sort of the plan is they once they find out where he is, they have to enact this other plan with the, the boiler and the computer and, and sort of sep separate them. The tricky thing of this episode is it's very straightforward. And what I just told you is pretty much the way the entire thing works, with the exception of a sort of almost filler-esque red herring sequence in the middle. Um, so I will I will I will stop there because that's it. That's I mean, that's the whole thing. I mean, yes. Um uh, uh, Danny and Casey don't really do much in the episode, which is a little weird. Mm. Um, but but Lavender gets kind of, um, like I said, not quite a spy who loved me thing. He doesn't wind up like on a boat with Barbara Bach and, you know, just like, yeah. But but he does get a kiss from Sybil Danny, which is more than I've ever got. And I've worked hard all my life. Uh, so what does that tell you about, <laughs> about that? I'm sorry. So, so um, no, no. Um, so, so I guess, uh, so Amanda, um, what? It's, it, we're at the end here. What did you think of the um, the unaired, the infamous? I'm going to call it that. The infamous unaired episode of Masquerade. Well, well. Before I get started, I want to apologize. Um, I live right on the corner of a street that is busier than it's supposed to be because we're in the suburbs. But so you might hear a pass and I'm sorry if that messes up your sound, but um, I really liked this episode. It's probably one of my favorites. I do want to talk, I guess we'll talk about the story later. So I'll just tell you my thoughts now, but I want to point out something about the beginning that was really interesting to me. Um, but I like this because it does go from point A to point B. It's one of the few episodes that I watched and I fully understood it the first time through, you know, like it all made sense and everything was sort of logical. And it was also one of the first episodes I can think of just off the top of my head where they're like, oh, so you're going to kill this evil person who's creating warfare that's going to murder the entire world. And they're like, no, we're just going to discredit him, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and they, so they don't try to do that. They actually there's no like they're not playing different characters trying to like insinuate themselves in somebody's life and then make that person look stupid so that the KGB hates them or whatever. Yes. Like they're actually trying to just find this bomb and dismantle it. Right. So, mm -hmm. and I like that. And I also like, I thought Sybil Danny was really good in this episode. I thought I almost forgot Richard Lynch was in it because he's in it, but he doesn't really do a lot. Mm -hmm. And that's unfortunate because he's such a good bad guy. But as um, a possibly good KGB agent, um, she's great. And there's actually like some really great stuff in the middle where like her, her people get murdered like in a gunfight yes. yeah, yeah. and she's really upset about it. Right. And so like, and they talk about it a little and it, and also I think lavender is really amazing. So it was um, a really great showcase for Rod Taylor as like sort of an older action hero mm -hmm. and also a great showcase for Sybil Danning as actually a decent actress because she was kind of buttoned up in it. So there wasn't so much of her playing. Like, she's obviously very beautiful, but it wasn't really about her being beautiful at all. It was about her being this really interesting woman that Lavender liked, right? So, and that they had this camaraderie, even though they were on two different sides. And, and they had really nice chemistry. So do you remember that episode we watched? I can't even remember what the plot was. Oh, boy. But it featured um, Manimal's ex, or Manimal's real-life wife. Uh, is it? Yeah. Her uh... last name's George. But she's not oh, Linda Day George. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She a, was the um the like the the um uh bouncer or something like that, right? And with the guy. Yeah, she was. Yeah, and she becomes a bodyguard. The runner or yeah. something. Yeah. And like, then they. Yeah. Yeah, and they fall in love, but then you're like, really? 
Yes. And it, it just, like, happened because somebody wrote it that way. Mm-hmm. But, like, in this episode, you really feel the chemistry between Rod Taylor and Sybil yes. Danning, and it's really good, you know? And so it's, it's almost like got a Jackie Brown ending where you're like, oh, kind of, yeah. but you knew it can really work out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm comparing it to Jackie Brown, that's right. Yes. And so um, it has that feel to it. And but you are right to bring up that Danny and Casey have very little to do, and that's too bad because it's is the last episode. But I like the way they've scaled back. There's not too many famous people like doing too many weird things. Like if they had another one. I guess we can reminisce about the old episodes now. But the one where they were on the boat, and they hired the couple who owned the gym because oh, they're yes. like the world's best gym equipment builders, just so that they could file down a wire on like a yeah. weightlifting machine, so William Smith would whatever. And it was like. <laughs> Anybody could have done that. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, so they, right. they really yeah. serve no purpose. Yes, yes. Yeah, and the... Uh, and so, yeah. I'm sorry, hold on. Oh, hold yeah, on no. one second, my cat wants out. Okay, yeah. I, I, and I'll, 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 oh, no. <laughs> I'll just say that, yeah, I, I remember that couple because the, um, the, the wife was the leading lady from the BJ and the Bear, the Foundlings TV movie. Yes. Well, it was also John McCook from Bold and the Beautiful, so... Yes, yeah. That... Mm-hmm. I forget was the, something yeah, that actress's no, name, but yeah, yeah. But um, so so like they have the wacky episodes that are really fun. The one that always sticks out in my mind oh. is uh, the ninja one yes. with James Shigeta and Linda Day George. Um, and then they have some really cute ones where they had the one with um, oh god, is his name Joe Santos, the guy from Rockford Files who wants to basically take yes. over. Yep. his brother-in-law's country and, and and so like they do all this crazy stuff to discredit him yes. including like party, something the hooker party he thinks or he's, whatever it was his, yeah. yeah the hooker party and then and then at the end when he gets busted by his brother he thinks his brother's dead and he can just take over and he's got all these prostitutes at, at the wherever his brother-in-law was living in this like mansion and they all show up with the the good guys you know um Lavender and everybody and mm-hmm. then you just see the prostitutes start to slowly walk away like yes. oh we're gonna <laughs> get in trouble and so it's yeah. Really funny, that's and Joe Santos one, is really right? good in that yeah. episode. Yeah, that's the prison one. No, I think that is that the prison one. Isn't that like like because the prison Casey one, in prison? The prison one, maybe because there's the one like where the is. guy wakes up and he thinks he's been in jail for two months. Yes, and yeah, and yeah. Peter Brady and whoever plays his wife are like, let's make the walls look damp. Yes, yeah, that that's the one that's that was the, no, that's the the hostages in the cage one, like oil or something like that. I think was the name of that one, right? Yeah, sure, yeah. sure. I think so, yeah, <laughs> it's been a while, folks. <laughs> but anyway, so like when we're looking back on all those, you can tell that already just the synopses of a lot of those are really outrageous. I mean, all we had to say was the ninja episode, but just in case you don't remember that episode, the ninjas like they call out sick, and they're really <laughs> into Steve Garvey, and it's like kind of amazing. But like, um. <laughs> So they went from wackadoodle to too convoluted, and yeah. the wackadoodle episodes fared better. But this look, this is an episode of like a different show to me. Like it's really serious in a lot of ways, and it's really well done. And they've taken all of that excess of mm. all the superficial stuff or superfluous whatever and pushed it aside. And they said, okay, let's go from point A to point B mm-hmm. with these six people we've brought on, and let's not look around and just just do it yes. and um and they did a really good job and so it's kind of unfortunate because i think sometimes it takes shows a while to find their sea legs and i think Definitely. this show finally found them and it never we never got to see the potential of what could have been and also like i said lavender is like a real kick-ass like there's death in this like people get shot pretty brutally right in this and like um and he's he's just killing 
people left and right. He's he's got, got no real mercy to him, but he's also like a really compassionate person at the same time. So he's a really interesting character, and I think you can see it more here. So yeah, I really like Flashpoint. He's probably one of my favorites. I, I think, I, and you mentioning uh, Lavender there. There is the moment. Oh, Sybil Danny's just getting out of the shower. Um, uh, what, on uh, what I'm watching, uh, I guess I have the episode <laughs> playing right here. Um, well, there is the moment too where um, where she gets off the plane she's on and she's sort of just walking outside the airport in Madrid, and this guy with like a lethal bouquet of flowers. I think there's cyanide in them is about to like kill her and all of a sudden lavender leaps up and like shoves the cyanide in the guy's face and kills him and it's it's like so, so yeah la- lavender don't, lavender don't lavender we, I, I think we've seen it before that you don't screw around but when it's sybil danning involved yeah. Mm, yeah so i um i i i agree with you i was i i had not watched this because i i i have i've said before i haven't watched the show uh, until we're watching it, until we were watching it right now. So I hadn't watched this episode until about two days ago. And you had said in an email that this one was pretty surprisingly straightforward. And I thought, okay, Amanda, what are we talking about? The sh- <laughs> what show are you watching? And you're right, though. It it is completely straightforward. I mean, that that plot synopsis I gave that takes us pretty much to the end of the episode. Uh, there, there is, like I said, there is a brief bit in the middle where Richard Lynch's character rigs like a warehouse with some traces of uranium. That's so right. they, they they break in there and get in the gunfight. You mentioned that that several of Sybil Danning's um, uh, 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 goons or uh, uh, pals get shot and killed. And that, and, and it's funny because to me the episode is so like straightforward and goes there so well that 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 pardon me that brief um that that sequence almost felt like the second time i watched it almost felt like filler almost like maybe um you know the the thing with charles kin is that he writes them very sharp (laughs) and very specific and when they actually went in there they were like oh charles we need another seven minutes so how about he fakes him out in the middle? Because it's it's weird because he fakes him out in the middle, um, and they they like arrive where they think his lab um, uh, is. They kind of open a door and there are like traces of uranium. Uh, I mean like like traces of uranium. Like you you know but but like it's like oh my god it's a trap and they get shot at and he's got his guys there and they're shooting at everyone. But then like. Ten minutes later, when they actually go to where he's moved to, he just has two like dopey guards walking around. So it's kind of it's kind of a weird thing where it's like so he set a trap where he had guys with like all these guns to shoot our guys, but the actual place he went to, he just has these two dopes who aren't very good. At do- so so that made it seem like to me it's like. Could this have been a last minute something or other? It doesn't matter though because it does yeah. add a bit. It, it does add a bit of tension to it. It does add a bit of we thought we caught the guy who has who's going to make this bomb, but we didn't, and we don't know where he is. Now they find out where he is quickly, and we can talk about that maybe too quickly. But overall, I think um, this doesn't have the you know 
you know, Dayton, Ohio. Mr. Smith, uh, we want to recruit you and your wife, you know, Sacramento, California, you know, Anchorage, Alaska. We yeah. need you, you know, it doesn't have that. They're just on the plane and it's we meet them and we go. And um and, uh, but that was the thing about the opening I wanted to talk about because the oh, sure. opening scene, so Danny Danny does the basic thing where he goes and gets Casey and they make like a funny joke. And then they go up to the top part of the double-decker plane, which is amazing. But then there's this camera shot kind of from far away and there's all this black. So like all the actors are sitting in those, if anybody's seen Masquerade um, that's listening, you know that the, the airplane usually has these like really comfortable seats in the upper part that all the people sit in while they get there, what they're, why they're there and what they're going to do. And so like, so like on one side of that second floor is like these kind of um, circular couches or something. And they're all sitting on them, but the camera is on the opposite end of that floor. And there's all this black right in front before the chairs start. And it looks almost like a set. Like, like it, it doesn't look like something real to me and and the sounds not great and it's almost like it was an unfinished episode like a rehearsal oh, or something like that just that first part do you know what i'm talking about oh okay yeah no he he I th- I think I I think I I do know what you're talking about and I I I I think that's kind of fascinating uh, but and i also a question i was going to ask near the end is how are you watching this episode because we might be like when we talk Joni loves chachi we had times where oh, I yeah. would say, like, oh, they did this song, and then you'd say, oh, I don't have that song on mine, or you, you know what I mean, or uh, you'd have a scene that I didn't have, or something like that. So yeah. we'll, we'll do that a little bit later, but but um, okay, yeah, I I did see that, and there was kind of a there's kind of I I think that's kind of a Bondelli trademark, you know, breaks it down. <laughs> oh my he god, breaks... did they get Bondelli and Kimbo Tate in the same episode? Because that's <laughs> really did. awesome. They did. They did. They brought me. This was the first time, the first time. But but yeah, I it's um. It, oh, I'm sorry. I, I interrupted you. <laughs> well, you were you were in the middle of something. No 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 you. Oh no you were. I was done. I was just saying that that was like a really weird. And so I thought the whole episode was going to have this weird kind of almost low budget look to it. Oh, okay. But it does, and it's just in that opening scene. Everything else plays oh. off like masquerade to me. But like it was just weird, and I thought this doesn't even feel. Like they finished the full episode, so maybe they were in post or something. They're like it got canceled, and everybody dropped. Yes. Do you ever see that movie Modern Girls with Virginia Madsen and Daphne Zaninga no. No, and know. Cynthia Gibb? So it's a great, it's a great movie. But there's a scene at the beginning. So Daphne Zaninga works for this um, telemarketing place, and uh-huh. it's in the late '80s. And she has to call people and ask them whatever, and she always gets hung up on it. People are mean to her, but they work right up till five, right? And so she's on the phone, and she's just started her phone call, and right as she's in the middle of making her sales pitch, the clock hits five, and she just hangs up the phone and gets up and leaves. And that's how I'm picturing the post-production oh. crew of Masquerade and yeah. working on that scene, right? So they're like, Cancel okay, we got to get this to look like, you know, yeah, yeah they just okay, we're done, and they just hand the little one eighth tape or whatever they're called over and then yeah. the, um and then they're like okay that's what you're gonna get guys and then they just went home and got drunk <laughs> and and they were like well at least we have auto man and they didn't know what was going to happen there oh i, I don't oh, know oh yeah happened. they were working on the same sh- yeah they, they were going they the were, animal they're like all these oh, shows man, oh yeah no it's okay this other job oh yeah i got glennie larson's doing <laughs> another one and uh and then and then it's like auto man let me down I'm not working for Glenn A. Larson again. Oh, this... He's got something about a talking car. I'm not getting involved. 
Oh, yeah, and of course that's the big hit, right? Sure. So, like, but this is interesting because I forgot that Richard Hatch was on Battlestar Galactica, right? Which is yes, a Glenn sure. A. Larson mm-hmm. production. So this was a re- reunion for Richard Hatch. Yes. And yes. and just briefly, not to get off topic, but can we sing the praises of Richard Hatch, who was truly a wonderful actor? Sure. Oh, and yeah. Was in a lot of different things. He never really reached the fame past Battlestar Galactica, but, but he ended up doing a lot of episodics and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And he was in a really great TV movie where he was in the Jan and Dean story. Um, oh, yes. And every time I see Richard Hatch, my heart just grows a little because I just think he's wonderful. I mean, he's really handsome, obviously. He's nice to look at, but he was also really talented. And, yeah. and I really liked him, and it was great to see him here. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was always nice to see him. I'm a big Battlestar Galactica fan. And when I saw him, his name in the credits, I was like, oh, fun. Oh, I can't wait. You know, he's got the, the, the plot line he has where he's sort of um, arguing with the, um, the Mary uh, the whole time. But then you kind of know um, they don't have a meet cute. They have a meet on a plane arguing kind of thing. And, and, and then in the end, it's yeah, like, yeah. well, maybe we can discuss our differences over dinner. Yeah. So it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, uh, but he's always great to see. And I always love that, um, what is it on, um, the Battlestar Galactica Blu-ray over the, um, the, 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 the first episode, the three hour long one, uh, he and Dirk Benedict and I think someone else, they do a commentary and it's an absolute (gasps) joy to listen to. Oh man. It's a joy. I just have the DVD of it with the Cylon head. I have the DVD release. Oh, I love I, it. I love it. That I, was one of my all-time favorite shows. It's yeah. so good. Yeah, that movie is amazing, by the way. That it's pilot. incredible. Yeah, yeah. The 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 movie and the actual full-on like two-hour and twenty-five-minute pilot. They're both so good. They ha- they do that Glenn A. Larson thing where the um the structure goes a little screwball. Um, I I think I think at the end of the day when I think of like really like the the opening episodes of Glenn A. Larson shows my favorite is and and Amanda you'll you'll probably say knock it off but my favorite is BJ and the Bear because I think it's the best constructed uh, because the first half the first hour of it takes place at night and is with him and and the gals in the truck trying to get to a place to hide from Sheriff Lobo's men and then the second half all takes place during the day and is almost one big chase and so that's my favorite structured of the um, Glenn A. Larson shows. Well, but boy, that boy, that Battlestar Galactica one though is uh, is a hell of a good time. Well, I think and, you uh, co-created Magna PI, so I can't I sure. can't go against that. But Battlestar Galactica would probably be my second favorite. Mm. Um, he did Rogers. a lot of great TV though. He was he, yeah, Buck Rogers was amazing. Yeah. And actually, the first season of Buck Rogers, if you rewatch it as an adult. Really racy, like that it first is. season it with is. Princess Ardala. Yeah, there's a lot of sexual innuendo that's like I totally did not get as a kid, and I think maybe my parents probably that might be why they liked the show so much because there was stuff for me to watch, and not understand the adult content, yes. and there was adult yes. content that made my probably amuse my parents, mm-hmm. and probably amused Glenny Larson because I I don't know that the networks even understood what they were airing. <laughs> yes, you know what I mean because it was mm-hmm. so like subversively saucy and um also i guess he was behind quincy so yes, definitely. it's kind yeah. of hard quincy, yeah yeah to really pick one thing that mm-hmm. he did oh sort of justice of course right i'm kidding mm-hmm. but like <laughs> <laughs> the Party manimal... boys i mean so many things he yes. did 
the Manimal uh, 90 minute pilot I think is pretty darn good. I just I just go with BJ and the Bear because I love the um the the shift from the the darkness of the first half to the straight up Smokey and the Bandit convoy style light of the the second half. I th- I think is really um uh, I think I think is is one of his sort of sharpest things. But then Battlestar Galactica is great. Masquerade eh, maybe not his best opening episode, but you know. No, not his best, but uh, but he was like sort of it was like Stephen J. Cannell and Aaron Spelling, you know, yeah, yeah. they were doing shows that were meant to be entertaining, and so there were some subversive qualities to some of them, but in general, like like I think, and I don't know Glenny Larson well enough, but Aaron Spelling, whom I worship, used to talk about how like. <laughs> He respected that people worked a lot during the day and they came home and they were tired and they wanted to see something completely opposite yes. of their yes. regular existence. And so he created these worlds, you know, where it were very glamorous, right? And like Hotel and even Love Boat and, um, of course, Dynasty. And I think Lenny Larson was doing it on a, in a different way. Like, let's like just take people out of their day to day existence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate that, you know. And so it didn't always work, but his, I think his heart was there, you know. I think so. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think like I think with like, well, well, I I won't go on more about Battlestar Galactica because we were talking about Richard Hatch, but I I just think um, I just yeah I I I'm a Glenn A. Larson fan, you know he's not my all time favorite, yes. you know, if I you know I um but but he is if his name is on a show I will watch the show as I think eventually Super Train has proven um several times. So. <laughs> yeah, but, he was um, great. He was great. Yeah. Um, so uh, I uh, so we were talking about Richard Hatch. Who else? Uh, let's talk about the cast. Who uh, is Richard Hatch? Your favorite uh, guest uh, in the cast? I think so. I mean, I really liked the Ruth Buzzy Ken Mars marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really fun. I didn't when they were like, "Oh, you can program a Russian." Oh, by the way, your husband does stuff with fire, and we need that. And it's just kind of like, okay, what are the chances? But it worked really well for the show. But um, they had the that couple. The Kenneth Mars credited as Ken Mars and Buzzy had this yes. really cute ending. You remember they were like, we just saved the world, so we want to feel yes. really glamorous and like <laughs> dress up for the occasion. But she still has those boots that she wore That's everywhere. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and at first I thought I was going to get offended by them because there was a lot of like potential mansplaining that might happen mm. because so she's a computer programmer, she's brilliant, but she can't do things like get dressed or like yeah. she can't walk without tripping or bumping into something and and she and the way they play it is almost like she's stupid when she's not in front of a computer and i was really worried that it was become like a thing where it was like um he has to be there because she can't take care of herself but we find out they have this conversation partly into the episode where they're like prepping or whatever and he'd always felt sort of inferior to her because she was so smart and she loved that he looked after her. It wasn't like a thing where he had to do it, and he was. It was this frustrating thing. It was like a th- a, yeah. their companionship worked, yeah, for them. And that he did these things that that fulfilled other parts of her life outside of having this big brain that could work in technology, right? And so, mm-hmm. and it was very sweet to their relationship, yes. and the fact that they addressed it made it seem a lot less like a man writing a woman who's really smart but has to be ditzy too. Do you know yes. what I mean? Yeah. And actually, both women were written very well. I think the two women that come in to help out um, because the Reed Shelton character doesn't have a lot to do, but like she's clearly against what Richard Hatch is doing with nuclear physics. But at the same time, 
she was really intelligent and she held her ground and she wasn't obnoxious. Mm. And there wasn't a point where one, one, one over the other, like it was a meeting in the middle, which was mm. kind of nice. And so like, I think, I think the characters were really well drawn in this, um, maybe more so than some of the other episodes. I mean, that's just my opinion. I, I, I agree with you. There's something nice too about the, um, the John and Mary characters where after they find out where, um, Vladimir is, uh, the, uh, John ha- sits with um, uh, Claire, right? Claire, yes, Ruth Buzzy, um, to sort of give her uh, like hints and tips on like what she needs to do when she hacks into the computer that that Vladimir is using. Um, but but the person who gets who hacks who who is able to hack them into the does that make sense? Hack them into the computer is Mary. Like you see, as they're all sitting in a van, like Mary's on the side of this observatory, like doing something. Like, yeah, I think I got it. I think I got it. So, so it's so it's nice. So, the they all the, the, the one of the things with the show is that 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 there were I I always thought is that there were times where they would bring on some people who would have so much to do. Say like Sybil Shepherd in the pilot, like she has to be like, hey, how you doing? Like the whole time. Uh, just to, uh, um, was it Oliver Reed? Who the hell was it in the, in the pilot? Yeah, I don't even remember. Was it? I um, think it was. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so she, but, but then there are other characters who are like, what do you have to do? Well, I have to reroute the water and have vodka come out of there. You know? And, and so in this one, they do it really nice where everyone has that moment where the thing they do, the thing you do. The thing they – I'm going to start singing – is is the thing you do is the thing that helps. And uh, and it's really – because like, like what Kenneth Mars does is – I'm not going to say it's easy because I couldn't do it. But he's basically like standing in this huge boiler room turning up the temperature on the observatory to a point where it becomes um, noticeably uncomfortable. And then he has to bring it back down. And it's it's one of those things where it's not it's not a suspenseful thing that he's doing, but it's an important thing. It's an important um, part of the puzzle. So it's it's almost like one of the things when the show started is I always thought it would be like like a puzzle. Like you bring in four people, you bring in six people. I don't know. One of the episodes, I feel like there were a dozen people. I don't even know. But but and they all have to, they collapse into place and everything works. And this one works really well. I think I I think it does what it needs to do. And they save the day. And spoiler: Moscow did not get blown up. A nuclear bomb in 1984 or or well this didn't air at any time i'm watching this from an episode that aired in november of 1997 so yeah i can assure you that moscow did not get blown up so so it's i think and i'm actually watching it now and i'm watching mary sneak into like a high voltage space alongside this observatory where vladimir is hiding so i think it's it's weird. I feel like Kim Bote and Bondelli, apart from maybe the plane scene, they got it. And that's one of the things. Yes, Glennie for Larson sure. Sh- yeah, that's one of the things with Glennie Larson shows is that he would he he. I think he always used to say that he would start it off, and then it was when it was going, he would go on to something else. 
And that kind of like with BJ and the Bear, for example, I don't think he's involved much after the start of the second season. I, I think he has like maybe in the middle of the second season, there's one episode that he writes. But pretty much after the second season begins, he's gone. And other folks have taken over. So so um, I'd, I'd like to think that like he, he provides a basis of an idea that maybe someone else hopefully will come along and say, oh, let's do this. And I think this episode does that. I feel bad that folks didn't get to see this. Eh. Uh, so what else do you have on this, Amanda? I, I, got, a, I got a few more things. Okay, um, I'm not sure I have much else to add, except Mike, I don't know when my copy there, but it was from TV Land. Did yours yours from TV oh, Land? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, um Okay. So 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 you did your yours had them in the uh um uh uh Casey and Danny in the doing their shtick? Yeah, at the beginning. Oh mine doesn't. Let me let me let me just uh Well you... no no, just at the beginning when they when they right before they go to the upper part of the plane, Danny says something to Casey about going up there. Mm-hmm. And she says something, I think it's at the beginning, and she says something to him, sarcastic or whatever, and he says something sarcastic back. I don't even remember what it is. And then okay. they go up. Okay, because I'm looking at mine, so I've got it right here. So here's here's this extremely long scene of Richard Lynch putting uranium-235 yes. into a, a, it's after a that. suitcase. Yeah, yeah and, and so, so my episode, so he's putting it in there, he's putting it in there, it cuts to the... Um, uh, what is it? Mill milli rotogens ro, ro, per hour or whatever it is. The the um the Geiger counter basically thing he has, uh-huh. which is up really high. And then it cuts to the plane. I'm watching this right now. And then it it fades into or dissolves into. They're already up there talking to everyone. It's all black in the front and everyone's sitting there. So I I don't my copy doesn't have that scene. With uh, with Casey, I'm pretty Danny. sure that's somewhere. Maybe it's somewhere else in the episode, but I thought it was on the plane at the very beginning. Oh, really? Okay. Not the very beginning, but after the Lynch, after the Lynch intro, like oh. when we get to the plane. That's my memory, but I mean, you're not gonna trust my memory, are you? <laughs> I don't. I take notes, but I never look at them. So, so my memory is uh, is probably yeah. as good as yours on this. I think I um. I, there is some I'm back and forth between them at some point, but it's very little. It's it's like it's so yes. downplayed because one of the things that this episode is missing is that Danny and Casey had a really great friendship. And as the episodes were progressing, we were spending more and more time with them. And yes. they were like eating sandwiches together on stakeouts mm-hmm. and things like that. Yes, and, yes. And they were great, right? And so they had a lot of chemistry as friends. I'm sure if the mm-hmm. show had lasted, they would have had sex. But like at this point, they're just sure, buddies. Yeah. And, and it's really well done. And um, and it was unfortunate that this episode kind of got rid of that because that's one of the elements that was consistent in the show that I thought was really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I'm actually I'm actually doing a quick fast forward through the episode, and I think mine. Oh, there is a brief scene where they talk outside the bus. Oh, well, maybe Just that's briefly. it. But that could be it. But I don't think um, so. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, where, but but it looks like he's actually watching because um, that's where Ruth Buzzy doesn't almost she almost runs into a curb. Oh Kent yeah. Mars has to kind of negotiate her around the curb, and then um, Sybil Danning is is in the car with Lavender, and they're both um, kind of not quite, but both sort of wearing suits and ties. And I have my my favorite choice of person in a tie in this car, but I won't tell you who that is. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to let it ride. They both look good. Um, and Sybil Danning is doing that very um, 
I guess, a Russian um, cigarette holding thing, which will come into play later in the episode. That's right. Oh, yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, that's funny because Ruth Buzzy makes this reference about I know enough Russians to know that that's the way they hold cigarettes. Yes. And and, 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 we and that's that. how they're like identified. And mm-hmm. she smokes. Her smoking plays that comes into play too, right? So it does. It that's does. Really that, that, funny. I, I will say that the one thing is um, I love Ruth Buzzy. Um, uh, we all do. Who doesn't? Right? I mean, is is there? Um, oh, is there I follow who... her on Twitter, and I helped oh. her. I helped. Yeah, I helped her at Borders once. She came in and bought like a bookmark, oh. like something ridiculous like wow. that, like just a little yeah. bookmark. And mm. and she's tiny. And um and I was like, <laughs> oh my god, I'm helping Ruth Buzzy. I could have died. That's that's one of the Ruth uh, obviously laughing too and such, but um. Yeah, oh yeah, Ruth whatever. Nobody what, cares. Whatever, She's in Surf what, 2. Whatever. She's in Surf oh, 2. Gosh. Who cares? Yeah, come uh, When are we going to get a Blu-ray of Surf 2 that properly... And when are we going to get a Blu-ray yeah. of Surf 2 that you and I do a commentary on? Hello? Anyone listening? Come on. That would be amazing. Yeah, that's a great movie. <laughs> that's, that's super fun. Um, so uh, I'm going to look at my notes one more... This is the last masquerade, folks. I need to look at my notes and see if I can read any of them. And get back. We to don't you. want it to end. Uh, we don't want it to end. I'm gonna do one more look at my notes to see. I circled some things. Madrid. I circled Madrid. Why did I circle that? We all knew it was in Madrid. <laughs> well, let's uh. let's reminisce about the opening credits one last time. Yeah. Because I will watch this show over and over again until the day I die. Even though I end up watching the same three episodes for some reason, even when I skip <laughs> around, um, sure. is that. Opening credits, not only with the Apple phone, which is an Apple, like that you eat. That's a phone, not an Apple There's iPhone. Phone. And Guess what I got here? I'm, it's not an Apple I'm phone. I'm having that's an, just Apple. an Apple. That, that's just an Apple. Not as, I, not I as can't impressive. call anyone. Mm-hmm. But it's got that great scene that I know I've already talked about in the opening credits where the bus is somewhere like in Germany or somewhere. And it, or Sweden, I don't even know where. And it goes by this series of shops, and behind it is this mountain, and the mountain's snow-capped. And it's my favorite thing that I've ever seen in anything. And every time I watch the show and I put on the credits, that 10 seconds, if it's even that long, shot oh. brings me so much joy. It looks like the most beautiful place in the world. Yes. And I don't know where it is. But I want to go there so bad. And every time I watch the show, I dream. I have a little fantasy that I'm going to figure out where that is, and I'm just going uh-huh. to go to that block. And it's going to be the same. And I'm going to look, and there's going to be that beautiful snow-capped mountain in the background. Oh yeah. That's why I love this show. Yeah, I, it's 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 where the um the the moments that uh, that that do. I mean, I love the apple there. Yeah, I'm there. It's right there. It's right. It's playing right now on the screen. <laughs> oh, and it's just like I'm you keeping see you busy with like, all the different scenes. Oh, you know, it's like it's it's one of those scenes where like possibly at the top of that there's like a Bond villain living in a circular building yes. or something like that. I don't know, but yes. I don't care. I don't care. Let's go up there. Let's you know maybe you know I don't I don't want to be the guy who gets on the um, ski lift thing, gets to the top, and then gets shot on the way down. But if I have be to be. It. It would be worth it, you know. It it'd be better off than yeah. being like the, like the guy at the beginning of the episode when Richard Lynch goes into the um, the uranium storage facility or whatever, and he shoots the guy in charge of the uranium. You know, it's it's I I hate to be that guy. <laughs> I I want to be the yeah, guy. Yeah, everybody hates to be that guy. Yeah. But 
Mm. But if you get to Lots the top of, of that snow-capped mountain, it's it'll be okay. It's worth it. Yeah. So when I was it. in Germany, when I was in Germany, oh. I told I told uh, my friend that I went with that I really wanted to go to the Swiss Alps. That that's kind of a bucket list. And she's like, "Let's just go." And I'm like, "I'm in Germany for five days, and I'm working, mm. and and ever and all of my money is going towards this." just to stay there for five days. You know what I mean? It was hilarious because she's like, let's just yeah. go to the Swiss Alps then. And, and it was like, <laughs> uh, I, I wish I could. I don't think, I think it's a lot cheaper obviously to go from Germany than from here. But sure, um, if, if I was there for more than, I think I was there for six days. If I was there for like 10 days and mm. I had a little extra money, I would have considered it. But um, she, was, she was really into it. Wow. But one day I'm going to get there. Yeah, That's why it's the I one think. place I want to go. Yes, yeah, the yes. one place I really want to go. Yeah, I think uh, I, I, I'm with you on that. I, you know, if if I could get to a place where I'm doing something, where there, where where I could say like, I want to go to the Swiss Alps, and they could like point and go, they're right there, and I go, and I you pull out like a tracksuit or something and go, yeah, and I could just run to them. Yeah, that would be awesome. I'm hoping that would be one, great. One fine. Why day. do you think I run? What do you think exactly. I run every day? So you can run to the Alps. myself. <laughs> yeah, she's running it's going to happen. She's, she's running to the Andes. She's running to the Pyrenees. Any beautiful mountain range, the Himalayas, She she's running to them. Jeez, I think the tricky thing about this episode is it's so straightforward. There's not really much more I have to talk about. No, I can't think of anything. Well, we, we talked about how great Richard Hatch is. No. Oh, you were going to say something about Kenneth Mars, I'm pretty sure. Oh, I, uh, okay. I'm, I'm leaning over. I just wanted to read because um, there's there's a book called uh, Are You in the House Alone? Growing Up with Gargoyles, Giant Turtles, Valerie Harper, The Cold War, Stephen King, Coed, Call Girls, a TV Movie Compendium, 1964, 1999, edited by Amanda Reyes. Um, this is a good book. Trash. It's trash. I, rec- it's trash. I, recommend, it, I recommend it for everyone. It's funny. On page 202, we get the ending of a review of someone I touched and the beginning of a review of someone's watching me, which I have on Blu-ray and I've listened to the commentary and it's okay. I'm kidding. Of course the commentary is fantastic and it's, and I know I I'm familiar with the person who did the commentary. Um, we'll call her Armanda Rayberg. We'll, 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 Amanda Rayberg. <laughs> uh, I, I Amanda, yeah. Um, it's a good time. Uh, but I wanted to read, uh, I, just because this is Kenneth Mars related and I like it. Uh, he's in a TV movie called Someone I Touched, uh, with Cloris Leachman, uh, which is VD related. And I just wanted to read, this will make sense to you folks who have seen the movie. It may not make as much sense to you, those of you who haven't seen it, but it should make you want to go out and see it. But the final paragraph is, Someone I Touched is from a different time period in America in more ways than one. A well-made TV movie that doesn't become as funny as Cloris Leachman and Kenneth Mars would lead one to believe it's going to be. (laughs) It has light moments, but in the end... It's as serious as getting touched by Kenneth Mars can be. That will vary by viewer. And I thought that was a lovely yeah, ending to review. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I just want to bring it up because I, I like Kenneth Mars. Obviously, he's been in so many things. He 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 He's the mayor in Police Academy 6, 
which is the one that Peter Bonner, Boners, Bon Bonners, but you know from um, uh, Jerry from Newhart? Um, Bob Newhart, Newhart show, Bob Newhart yeah, show, yeah, Bob Newhart show directed, which is I I think one of the best of the Police Academy films. You argue with me if you will, but um, yeah, it's 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 I'm just gonna say this: the cast and this is super fun, um, and. Uh, you know, you give you give Sybil Danning at this time period a big role in a, like a major network TV show. I'm in all the way. So I I'm, there's no argument for me. I do wish uh, Casey and Danny had more to do, but they have more to do in the other 12 episodes. So I mean, yeah. I, guess, I guess let's 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 wrap up well, Masquerade. Or, or do you want to? One thing, I'm gonna get the title of this wrong, but a few years after this. Um, Brigitte Nielsen in a British TV movie that I guess got picked up by network. I think it's called Murder by Moonlight. Plays oh, that a woman, like Ameri- space or something. Is that? Yeah, she plays an American woman who is on a spaceship. She's brought on a spaceship to help solve a murder. Joe McCraney like runs the ship or something, uh-huh. and Julian Sands plays a KGB agent. Who she has to work closely with because the space station is like co-owned, I think, by the Russians and the Americans. Mm-hmm. I feel like the guy who died might have been Russian, and so, so it's kind of the same story in a way, but mm-hmm. with Brigitte Nielsen and Julian Sands. And Julian Sands acts a lot with his neck, and if you've never <laughs> seen neck acting before. He is the pro because I never really recognized mm. that your neck could act until I saw Julian yes. Sands in this movie. Yeah, and now, it has you... a really, really, really troubling, troubling, troubling ending. Um, oh. That would never, the movie would never get made now, and I would never show it to anybody wow. now because okay. it's a little offensive. Wow. But Brigitte Nielsen, it's interesting because Brigitte Nielsen, who's not an American, plays an American, and Julian mm. Sands, who's not a Russian, plays a Russian. So there's accents all over the place. And I think it's British, so the cast is speaking in an American accent, but I believe most of them are from England. So Brigitte Nielsen will walk up to somebody and she'll be like, hey, Margaret, it's been a long time since I've seen you. Oh, hello, Brigitte. <laughs> like, it's like this really purposeful dialogue delivery from, yeah, like, a lot of yeah. the characters. Uh, oh, you don't know that person is KGB. Hey there. Like, it's like that. Hey there. <laughs> Where are the KGB? Yeah. It's, I noticed when, yeah, when the Brits just... do the American accents, they, they, always, they, they always think we're all, like, um, you know, uh, Marshall Dillon. You know, oh, yes, yeah. we're going to be the KGB. Yeah, it's just really, it's really purposeful dialogue delivery. Like everybody in it, except Gerald McGraney, who's the, sure. the only American uh-huh. playing an American. And it's just, it's, it's not a great film. But mm. if you're interested in blondes, who <laughs> are in sort of these weird KGB type storylines, mm. um, on television, played by statuesque, like crazy B movie queens then I highly suggest checking it out. Also, neck acting. If you've never <laughs> seen neck acting. I think he is actually a professional neck acting teacher now. <laughs> I think that's what I read. <laughs> he does, and right now he does, uh, all his classes are online, obviously. So you can, uh, you <laughs> well, can join Well, neck acting online neck. is actually a lot easier to teach than other types of mm. acting, it turns out. Now, was he in, what was, 
was he in which one was he in Warlock or Wishmaster? Which one was yeah. he in? Was it Warlock? It was Warlock. It was Warlock. Okay. Yeah. Yes. He's great. I love Julian Sands. Yeah. But like yeah. if you just haven't seen neck acting until you've seen Murder by Moonlight. That's the way called. to go. Let's I think yeah. I the the two things I I remember you mentioning that movie. I think on the Made for TV Mayhem show at one point. Yeah. Possibly was, during a... I was going to have us watch it, and then I watched it, and I thought, I'm not going to have us watch it. Oh, okay. All right. And I remember hearing something that in the original script, it was a um, U.S.-Polish space station, but the screen door <laughs> that the Poles put on the space station sucked everybody out when they opened the main door. So, well, you yeah, know, that's funny because so, there's, a, there's a scene where people get sucked out into the atmosphere. That's hilarious. There you go. And you know what covers it? I'm sorry, we're getting totally off topic now. But you know so what happens? This this woman gets sucked out to her death, and Regine Nielsen's holding on because there's all the, you know, whatever, sucking everything out. But luckily mm-hmm. there's a table just big enough for the hole that to, covers it completely as it's getting yes. sucked out. Yeah. And then she saved. Oh, yes. Yep. Awesome. That's That's the way to do it. That's a strong table. Is what that is. That's that's a really that's a I don't lead line yes. table or something like that. Um, uh, we didn't say so much about Richard I, Lynch, but Richard Lynch was a god, and everybody should yes. think about him and love him. Yes. Yes. This was he was on a manimal where he played a um a foreign diplomat who it, it's one of those things like when when Charlie Charlie and myself discussed manimal we were discussing how much we wanted to have diplomatic immunity because he does that thing where at the beginning of the episode, they like catch him like selling drugs and killing people. And they're like, you're under arrest, diplomatic immunity. Okay. Have a good evening, sir. Can we get you a pizza or anything? <laughs> yes. You know, it's like, so how does that work? Cause he spends the whole episode like killing people and selling drugs and doing these episodes, diplomatic immunity. And it's like, how does that work? I mean, because we all have seen Lethal Weapon 2, and they're like, diplomatic immunity. Pfft, you know, that one. But but this one's a little more like... Well, just think about when Shirley Temple was a diplomat in real life. She was oh, doing sure, the exact same yeah. thing. Oh, of course, Shirley Temple Black. So, selling drugs. To, yep, yep, singing Good Ship Lollipop and taking out the, <laughs> the Soviets. Yeah, oh my gosh. Oh, yeah, um... I uh, I forgot what I was saying. Yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's went uh, well, Oh no, no, it was um because so, the great thing about that that Manimal is that at the end of it, um, uh, Manimal turns into the Panther and threatens Richard Lynch's character's life, and he's like, I you know I reverse or I I I you know give up my diplomatic immunity. You're under arrest, and they arrest him and they take him away, and we were like. Couldn't he, like, as a diplomat, say, I was just kidding, and reverse that? I don't know. We don't know the way He hasn't signed anything. Yeah, exactly. I do, do want to say, I did just want to say real quick, this this conversation is as convoluted as the old masquerade plots were. So and, what we're doing is, yeah, yeah. we're talking about this masquerade that's very straightforward, but we're doing it in a way that they would have done it in another masquerade. Yes, exactly. And that's why we're good. That's why you listen, folks. And I guess, I, so I, I guess, I guess let's let's do that. Let's do this then. I guess let's. Um, okay, let's. So I, I guess let's do like if you have any. I know it, we've been we've been talking about these thirteen episodes for a long time. It hasn't been sort of as concentrated as like when we did Joni Love Chachi. They were all like one after another, after another, after another. Um, but but you're, I guess you're, what do you, do you have overall thoughts on like Masquerade? Did you love it? Did you hate it? Did you did it? Whatever, whatever. It's 
it's whatever. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's convoluted. You watch an episode an hour later, you'll be like, what happened? As a matter of fact, you'll be 45 minutes into the episode and you'll say, what happened? And it doesn't matter because it's glamorous and because the actors are really good. Now, it's not great TV in the way you might normally think of great TV. Like, it's not Masterpiece Theater or, like, Playhouse 90 or anything like that. But it is what it is for the time and place that it was made. And I mentioned this in the first episode, and I think I mentioned this in the last time we recorded, that this show came out at a time when we were in the middle of um, the Cold War and where, much like today, I guess, the Russians seemed really dangerous to us. And this was a show like Scarecrow Mrs. King that was meant to add sort of a level of patriotism into its viewing audience by having regular people do extraordinary things that helped our country, much like Mrs. King did on the Scarecrow Mrs. King shows. But the thing is about that, Scarecrow Mrs. King was written really well like better than most tv shows of that era so this is an attempt to do the same thing it's not quite as realized but as a time capsule or a cultural artifact it's important as something that's just you can sit down and have a bowl of popcorn get drunk and not have to worry about following any storyline and just watch the actors do their thing it's great so if people decide to seek this out after listening to this um and if they've never seen it before just let the actors do the driving and and enjoy. And you mentioned driving. I I just saw a shot of the <laughs> bus pulling into the hotel, and uh, Kirstie Alley is like looking out of the front of the bus, and Greg Evigan is driving the bus. And I realized did did Glenn A. Larson hire uh, Greg Evigan on for this specifically because he knew he had like the trucker's license from BJ and the Bear. Well, uh, we'll never maybe. know. We'll never know. We'll never know. But I think, yeah, I, I love what you just said. What you just, what you just said, is uh, one thousand times better than what I was going to say about the show, which is that I think it's a fun time. I don't know. I, you know, just <laughs> you know, if if it's 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 a it's it's very much a, a time like we said before. It's it's, it's very much sort of. It, I don't think it quite gets there, apart from maybe in two or three episodes. But Love Boat meets Mission Impossible, and it's very much like. You'll yes. watch it and you'll enjoy it. And if if you can let yourself, if if you can, I, I don't I don't quite know the way to describe, it, but if you can like in some of the more overcomplicated episodes, if you can just rely on the fact that they know what they're doing, then you can just sit there and just like you said, you can get drunk, you can get a pizza, and you can just watch. And in the end, if you don't know how you got from point A to point G. It doesn't matter because they've done it. No. So just just be happy that they did it, you know. And it's just you just you you can just kind of just just sit in the episode like you can marinate in an episode. How about that? I don't know. Maybe that's not the right word to use. But um, <laughs> I, I I think I think I think at at its best the show is a lot of fun. I actually have the scene playing right here where. Uh, Lavender realizes that um, uh, 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 Colonel Lubov, Sybil Danning, is having her goons follow him. And so he's at an intersection on the phone with her uh, in his car. And he he has her on the phone and says, wait one minute. And then he has his driver back up to the goon's car, has them roll down the window, hands the phone to the goon and says, here you go, oh, Ivan, right. whatever his name is. And Ivan takes the phone is like, hello? Yes. Yes, ma'am. Okay, comrade. 
and and he hands uh, he hands Lavender the phone and drives away, and that ends the um, the tailing, and and it's it's a really nice moment. You get these lovely moments throughout the show that are like that. Occasionally, they do overdo. I, I think one of the things is the show never quite figured out how much do you need to focus on the recruiting of the um the care the 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 uh the recruits yeah. the, the the people and and how much do you need to just say here they are here's what they're doing and then have them develop as the episode goes along i feel like like some episodes spend yeah. a little too much time like hey now we're in michigan now we're in wherever it is you know i you know i said before um but and 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 again it's only 13 episodes and it is a Glenn A. Larson show, which I, I do kind of feel like apart from a few of them were never, I, I, he, he would say, here's the show. And then folks would develop it from there. And so this never caught quite yeah. where it needed to be, but boy, there are a few episodes that are super fun. And I think every one has something in it worth watching. I, I don't think, I mean, maybe there was, Maybe there was a dud or two in here, but but I don't remember really coming away feeling like, um, like anything stank up the joint. I, I feel like sure. I feel like they're, they're, I, I feel like they're trying, but maybe they don't always know. Um, I, well, this is a season where Glenn A. Larson had three shows on the air, so you you can't expect him to. I mean, he probably just like came up with these three shows. They did the pilots, and then it was suddenly like, "Wait a minute!" They picked up all three of them. I don't know what any of these shows are. You know, I don't know what's going on. And and so, I haven't watched much Auto Man, but Manimal, I think, um, becomes better as it goes and had great potential. And I think I think this show did too. I would have loved if season two of Sybil Danning had come back and maybe become a semi regular. Oh character yeah um and i would have loved if uh, uh danny and casey had developed their thing a little bit more maybe not to um i i don't know maybe after a couple seasons it could have been like a will they won't they sort of thing i don't know but yeah um, but okay. i think yeah that, that would have been interesting you know but um as it is we have the 13 we have i think i think it's i think it's a fun watch i i i you know, yeah. I just finished watching all 13 episodes the other day. I think it's worth um, your time. So um, that's masquerade. I, I hate to leave it. We we um, I always hate to leave a show when we're at the end, uh, except when it's just me talking about it. Then I'm fine wrapping it up. Yeah, I think like like I said at the beginning, this is the 15th show we have finished on here, with the first one being. Wow. Beyond Westworld or Cliffhangers, I forget. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, obviously, you joined me for Joni Loves Chachi, and we did so many others in there. And as this episode goes out, we're almost done with Bourbon Street Beat. Shadow Chaser still has a way to go. But uh, thank you so much, Amanda, for for uh, for for joining me for this. Um, it's been well, thank it's you. Been fun. I love it. Yeah, yeah, it's a great yeah, show. It's, it's... I'm happy to talk about. It. And hopefully, hopefully uh, you will join. I know you're. She's a very busy woman. Uh, 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 hopefully, you can join <laughs> me for another show. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe sometime in the future. Uh, maybe, maybe Lou can or something, right? Oh my gosh, that's out on DVD, right? Yeah, it is. Isn't it? 
Oh, now that yes. I would like to do because I I started to watch that right before Warner Archive Instant went down. So I like I saw the is I saw the original TV movie. There's a TV movie, right? I yeah, think. yeah. Yeah, directed and, by and David saw, Green, um, starring Stockton yes. Channing. Yes. Yes, and then I, the last one I saw, which may have only been like two or three episodes in, there's is there boxing in one of them? Yeah, like, yeah, that's the Stan Shaw one. That's my least favorite of them. Um, but it's a really good show. It has a lot going on. Okay. Like a lot. All right. So, yeah. So, so that that was it was it was actually funny. Like when when I wanted to ask you on for another one, I wanted to ask you on for Lucan, but I don't think the set had come out yet when I asked you. So I did Masquerade. It was either going to be Masquerade or Black's Magic, and I chose Ooh, Masquerade. Black's Magic is good too. Personally, I mean, Black's Magic is a Levinson and Link, Peter Fisher show. I think it's a better show than Masquerade. But um, with the tricky thing with mystery shows is I tr- we try not to ruin the ending. And, oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, but, but it's got Hal Linden but, looking really good. Um, I think he was 54 or so when he made it. I don't know why I have that oh, number, exact number in my fantastic. head, but... Um, <laughs> Looking good, Hal. He looks, and and I and I will say anyone, anyone who wants a fun show, that there thir- there are thirteen episodes, a two hour one, and then twelve hours. I think that's right. I could I could be wrong, but if you if you can find those shows, that's a super fun show to binge. I have actually I don't binge a lot of shows because I like to you you know me like I watch one episode of Doctor Who a day you know every day you know that kind of thing and I'm just I get anal about that but there are a few shows I can binge and twice now in maybe the past three years I've had like a three or four day spurt where I've watched all the Black Magics in a row and I think they're super because they're good mysteries and they're they're well done and Hal Lind and Air Morgan are they're they're so great. And and it's 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 a fun show and um, yes maybe we'll talk about Black's Magic in the future I don't know but again we do, I don't want yeah exactly I, I don't want to um I don't we don't like to ruin the endings I I've said I've I've said this before I'll say just one more time when my wife and I covered Ellery Queen I said to her and maybe we'll do this is that we need to do a separate episode that is just us spoiling every single episode yeah. saying what we, yeah. saying what we thought of the ending because we get up to that because when we did Ellery Queen we would get up to that point and the moment we get up to that point I'd play the bit where Ellery says so do you know who did it was it this person and then we'd be done and I, I just I you want to spoil them but so um uh, so I, I just have one more thing, uh, and then we will. Uh, I will ask uh, wh- what you're up to, um, and that is just. Um, so you're watching a version from TV Land. Yes, that, yeah, that now, episode. Now, the other ones were the original airings. Yes. So so um so d- so um did did yours have the commercials? No, I think the TV Land one did, but not the regular okay. episodes. Not that okay. I can recall. Because my TV land has the commercials, and I'm gonna I'm gonna place my this this airing of this episode in November of 1997. Boom! There you wow, go. Wow, that's good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that because of one. There is a Keebler Elf commercial about holiday related, and it's Christmas specifically. So my first thought was December, but then at the end there is a commercial for Flubber. 
the John Hughes written Robin Williams starring movie, which came out Thanksgiving Day, 1997. And so I am putting this airing um, on like either a Saturday or Sunday evening, maybe a Friday evening, um, in November of 1997. So hey, I'm glad we got it. I'm. I mean, how do we get these things? Like it's it's crazy sometimes. It's like, how do we have the original 12 that aired? Who who taped those and who taped this one? Right. Thank you. Right. Thank I'm you. just glad they did. Whoever it was, yeah, little yeah, angels. Th- th- thank you, thank you, my angels. Um, so Amanda, we'll wrap this up. Where, um, how are you, and where can we find you online? Or, or what are you up to? Um, actually? Well, I guess the, right now we're recording in the middle of a mass world situation, so I'm not doing much of anything. So, um, like, like I didn't have anything lined up to, while this is happening. You know what I mean? Like to, beforehand. So, I will say I do have something coming out that hasn't been announced yet that I, I like wrote liner notes for a Blu-ray that's coming out. I can't say what it is. It's yeah. not TV movie related, the film itself, but the filmmaker made a lot of TV movies. And so my liner notes are sort of about his career. And I'm really excited about that. Uh, I guess the big thing is, is that um, I am part of the Al Adamson box set coming out yes. through Severin. So they're yes. releasing like 90% of all of Al Adamson's movies together, which is, if you know Al Adamson at all, he made like 100,000 right. movies. And they're releasing 99,000 of them in this box set. And um, I and my writing partner, Bill Ackerman from Supporting Characters, came on to write the little booklet that will accompany the the Blu-rays, which are basic is basically like just us talking about each film, like little things about each film. And um, I'm really proud to be a part of that. Uh, Al Anderson was a really great underrated filmmaker and um, this box set is going to be tremendous and everybody's really excited about it and I'm super excited to be a part of it. And other than that, I'm just doing my regular stuff. So um, you and I have a podcast we do with our friend Nathan Johnson called the Made for TV Mayhem Show and you can find us online just anywhere. We're on Twitter, we're on Instagram and we're on Facebook, just look up for the Made for TV Mayhem show or Made for TV Mayhem or TV Mayhem podcast. So one of those variations and you'll find it and or go on iTunes or whatever. And um, that's kind of it. I've lined up some podcasts to do. Oh, I did. Recently, I did a podcast with the Austin Film Society. So um, Lars Nilsson, who is a programmer for the Austin Film Society, during the shutdown, he's been reaching out to people for a podcast that he does. It's called AFS Viewfinders. And he had me come on and talk about TV movies and also about Charlie's Angels, because I was supposed to, the week after the shutdown, I was supposed to speak at AFS about Charlie's Angels. And I'm really bummed that that didn't get to happen. We we're going to show two episodes, and uh, Lars and I were going to talk about why the show was so important. And um, and so we do a little bit of that on that podcast, if anybody's interested in Charlie's Angels, and they should be, because it's the best. And um, and then we just talk about TV movies, and he made a letterboxed account that goes with it. So if you can find the podcast, you'll be able to find a link to that. And it's all the TV movies I talked about, which apparently was like 3,000, because it's a really long list. <laughs> and um, I think that's it. It's really slow over here, and yet I feel like I'm busy all the time, because that's how the world is now, and I guess we have to live yes. in it, right? Uh, this is the end of Masquerade. I don't have anything else to say. I guess here's what we'll do. I'm going to play a little bit of the theme for you. And then I think maybe we'll just end the episode. I won't even do a, a goodbye. Um, let's just here. Here's Crystal Gale, everyone. Enjoy. <laughs> 